Welcome to the 15th episode of Dauber's Draftcast. In this episode of the Draftcast, we are completing our mini-series talking to the remaining writers of the Dauber Fantasy Prospect Report about our top 50 rankings. Um, as always, I am your host, Pat Quinn, Associate Editor and cover of the Washington Capitals at Dauber Prospects. Um, my new Dave Hall is not here today, which would technically have been his official co-host day. So I'm going to officially put him on probation. Um, and for this week, we are joined by Ben. Uh, I really should have asked how to say his last name. Uh, I'm going to guess Geralds. Geralds. Yeah, that was easy. Um, who covers the Florida Panthers at Dauber Prospects and writes for the journey at Dauber Hockey. Um, he's also the reason why part three is in August. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry uh, about that. Had to okay. go to Europe. Yeah, that's that's scouting. Fine. Alex Wyatt is also here, who covers the Seattle Kraken and is author of the Century Mark at Dauber Prospects. Um, instead of telling us why you don't have a camera, how about you uh, take us through what Century Mark is, Alex? Oh, perfect. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, the, the Century Mark is uh, a column that um, I write, and uh, where it comes from is just the idea that. Uh, there, there comes a time in every uh, dynasty league with a minor system where your players start going from highly touted, high ceiling prospects that you can stash away on your farm to people that are going to start costing you a pro roster. So um, if you can't keep somebody on your uh, farm anymore and you're not sure whether you should keep them on your pro roster, I like to kind of dive into some of the underlying stats and things like that and uh, give you an idea whether a guy might be worth a keep or not. Well, okay. So then um, I'm going to do a quick plug here. Um, we'd like to promote the website mcdavidforpicks.ca from friend of the show, Hayden Soboleski, our Colorado writer and all around good dude. Um, McDavid for Picks lets you propose NHL trades with over 100 unique GM responses based on cap hit, positional depth, team rebuild status, injury history, and many more factors. If you're bored at work, Propose some trades at davidforpicks.ca or vote on daily generated trades uh, at mcdavidforpicks on Twitter. Let the creators know what you think as they work to create the most authentic trade simulator available. Um, and then also, I guess, remember to like and subscribe on YouTube. And you can also subscribe, I think, on these audio podcast where it's available and you can listen on anchor spotify apple itunes and google podcasts we're also powered by instat and you can pick up your copy of the fantasy prospect report at dauberhockey.com as well as the newly released fantasy hockey guide for this upcoming season <sighs> all right <laughs> now that i got that big spiel out of the way i'm going to drop this little surprise so um putting the top 50 on the back burner for a second um have you both been watching the World Juniors? Um, a little bit. I've been following what people are saying about it, but I've, you know, that's when perfect I can. too. Yeah, Alex. <laughs> uh, I haven't been able to to get my eyes on uh, any games thus far, so I know I'm not doing uh, my uh, Canadian duty <laughs> by watching the uh, World Juniors. But uh, it, it it's tricky to have it in August, eh? You know, yeah. it's just uh, it's such an institution at winter time, and uh, you know you got holidays and time off. It just fits, but uh, you, yeah, I just uh, I haven't been able to carve out time for it. To be Have honest. you been following along on Twitter at least? 
Absolutely. Uh, not a huge social media guy, but it's uh, definitely been getting me through the off season and uh, the WJC. So I'm thankful to thankful to have guys like you that uh, keep me in the loop. What do you have okay. kids or something, Alex? Oh, yeah, I know. Hey, they get in the way of all the good stuff. Other people with kids can watch Alex. I know. Anyway, Maybe no, they should I'm watch not. my kids and then let me watch. All <laughs> You need to just portably walk around with your phone. I see lots of parents do that at the mall and at the pool and there are lifeguards around anyway. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? <laughs> um, sorry, but anyway, the person I wanted to talk about is someone I find is being absolutely hyped to the moon. Um, Ridley Gregg. Um, mm. In my opinion, I don't know about you guys, but if you can trade this player in any keeper league, say for like mm-hmm. banger leagues with a salary cap, yeah, I would do it immediately because <laughs> I'm seeing people hype him up as a future top line player. But to me, he's going to max out as a third line player who can chip in points like he might have a 20 goal season here or there. He'll take penalties. He'll kill penalties. He'll throw tons of hits. He'll be a player that's hard to play against. He'll be suspended, but he's not going to be a scoring star, in my opinion, like at all. So uh, what do you guys think about Ridley Greg? Greg? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hyped him up in um in a journey article in late June. Um, and that's when he kind of came on my radar and he seemed like, a, like you say, he's, he's going to be a multi-cat beast. Kind of, he reminds me of Zachary LaRue for Nashville. Mm. Um, and it's hard to tell what his ceiling's going to be, but this year he, I think he faded under the radar a little bit, at least for me, because he only played 39 games. He had a injury and a suspension, which is partly what you're going to get with him. I think he's yeah. going to be riding that line. But he, uh, his points per game was, what was it, third overall in the WHL behind Bedard and uh, Stankoven, or fourth overall, but right up there in points per game. So he's, I, I would try and get a hold of him if I can, and he's actually someone that didn't make my top 50 that I'm regretting now. <laughs> oh, you're the opposite of me. Oh, <laughs> well, Alex, what are you yeah. Yeah, the, you know, in, in fantasy hockey, everybody's looking for the next Tom Wilson, right? So uh, it, it's no surprise that, uh, you know, maybe people who play points-only leagues will be happy to let him go by the wayside. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, he's definitely somebody that... I, I think if you draft these types of players, but you put the right uh, context on it. So if you have a guy who's got a 40-point floor and he's going to also fill the buckets in your peripheral categories, then there's value to a player like that. But... Uh, I think sometimes where uh, you already like a guy for one reason and then he gets hot, scores a couple goals, you start to inflate his value a little too much. Uh, good good point, actually, Ben, when you brought up the points per game. I was playing around on pick 224 earlier, looking at some of the underlying stats from the WHL. And uh, even strength primary point, or so, yeah, even strength primary points uh, per 60, Ridley Gregg is in the top 10 with names like Stankoven, Genther, and Bedard. So... Uh, I don't think he's uh, going to be mentioned in those same types of uh, tiers uh, when he starts hitting the pros because he's only 160 pounds according to uh, you know to his uh, mm-hmm. profile here. So guys like that that are feisty pests in the junior leagues that are 160 pounds, they're going to be just dog food for some of the six foot four behemoths that are on the blue line in the NHL. So he'll probably have a difficult time translating that. And, uh, you know, might add to his injury history. So I'm not tar- a, targeting him anywhere. I have a bit of a bias towards multicat, I think, because yeah. I find points only just a little bit boring personally. I know that's a big <laughs> part of the industry, but I'm, I'm curious why you're a bit low on him as a scoring star, Pat. Like, 
uh, I refer to hockey prospecting and whatnot. And currently he's rocking a 22% star potential, which is decent in terms of his stealing, his ceiling. Um, I just, I've never seen a player who's a big scorer out of him. Um, this is his well, fourth year in the WHL. Um, mm. Usually you want a progression like this, but I think right. by the time people are in year three year four of the CHL, they know the league in and out, right? Yeah. So you get a lot of inflated stats like that. Like any overagers who are 20, 21, they always score like crazy. And then AHL, they're like, Oop. yeah, so fair point. for me, that's what it is. Okay. Great point. I, yeah. I think he'll be an NHL or no problem. And yeah, be for sure. In multi-cat leagues, but I just, I'm seeing people hype him up as like this top line center. Who's going to like throw 200 hits and like, take a hundred penalty minutes and score like 30 goals. And it's just like, Holy everyone like calm down. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, there was an interesting, um, you know, discourse in the different articles that I read about uh, who won the, the blockbuster trade of the summer, right. The team getting Matthew Kachuk or the team getting Jonathan Huberto. And uh, I, I don't know who to attribute the quote to. Um, it might have picked me. Yeah, well, it was a good quote, so I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, now, someone someone said about uh, the concerns around the longevity with Huberto signing a you know an eight year deal at at quote unquote his age. He's younger than me, um, but it's like you know you're gonna get. Uh, it might have been Bader actually because he had a he had a piece out that showed how older players um, that were stars in their primes. Uh, how old they were before they stopped being stars. And it was usually right before they retired when you were an elite playmaker. But when you're a spark plug, um, drive the net kind of guy like Tuchuk is designed to be, that's someone who's going to fall off with age and just miles on the body, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's I a big thing. Playoffs. I don't know if he really went to the net all that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, and, and, and on that topic, you know, the, the different arguments I've been having in different circles. I like the trade for um, Calgary because they lost an elite playmaker and they brought in an elite playmaker. And yes, they also lost to Chuck too, but they gave away a guy who is used to being fed by an elite playmaker. And now he's going to play on a wing with another guy who is used to being fed by an elite playmaker except one of those two guys is going to have to be a playmaker. And I don't think uh to has the reputation for doing what needs to be done to appease his teammates. So I wonder how that affects Barkov's value, especially around goals. Anyway, if uh, he's going to be saddling up next to Kachuk for this season. I think Barkov's untouchable. He's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Right. But maybe yeah. more assists for Barkov this year. It might be there yeah. might be more what can the Panthers do when Barkov's out this year type thing. Because mm. you know, he always misses his 20 games or 10 to 20 right. games. He's gotta stay fresh. It's the Kucherov tactic. He's staying fresh <laughs> for the playoffs, right? Yeah, well that's missing a whole year. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's interesting too. But um, yeah, so let's leave all that and now let's get into the 50 top 50 guide. Um <laughs> So anyway, to get this started, I'm just going to ask you guys two questions. I pretty much asked everyone else um, to start. Um, so for this year, I found it wasn't really tough for me to narrow down my top 50 slash 53. Um, but it was different from any time I've done this before because it felt like so many prospects are basically in the same tier as mm -hmm. so many got like a one game or two games or five games in the last year because all this 
because of the COVID and everything. Um, so for me, that's kind of why everyone's rankings are so different and player values are like this, except for you two who are like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, so my first question is like, do you, did you guys find your list hard to make or was it easy to make? And then if you can remember, cause this is a few months now later, how many prospects did you have on your list total that you had to cut down? I had 89, which I cut down to 53. Um, and I will let Ben start. Yeah. Um, this is my first time doing it. So I found it, um, difficult in a, in a really enticing way. Like it was a really cool problem to sit down and, and think about. Um, I guess just thinking about my methodology, um, because it's such a big question that I, I wanted to have a bit of a methodology instead of just like, Oh, I like this guy. I like that guy. <laughs> um, I wanted to see like a high NHL equivalency stat or a, or PNHLE in um, Mason Black's rankings, which I love to check out, and also a high star percentage on hockey prospecting or, or other comparable models. And if they didn't have a, a good equivalency or star percentage, I wanted to feel confident enough about the trajectory that they were on, like you said earlier about Grieg, um, or the circumstances. And like you say, the circumstances are a bit unprecedented right now because with a lot of guys having a, a, a forced gap year, like Wyatt Johnston, what do you do with him? Because he wasn't trending that well. And then he had no chance to prove himself. And then he came back with a monster season. So you kind of have these, a lot of these riddles to throw in. Um, yeah. That's kind of, how yeah, it's, right it's tricky too. He missed all an entire OHL year too, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how many you had? Um, I listed, I don't know how many, but I listed all the possible people because the hardest part for me with this exercise was (laughs) like so many guys, like you say, have like one or two games in the NHL. And then my mind would immediately go to them as a top prospect, not yet playing in the NHL, but they're, they're not part of this exercise. So for myself, I just had to write a full list (laughs) of like over a (laughs) hundred names of anyone who's even would actually qualify (laughs) and then start knocking it down from there. But I think I had another at least 15 that I really wanted to put on the list that didn't make it. Oh, so it was probably, yeah. yeah, it was tougher for you. It was hard. I think that was like three years ago. I, I, it took me like a month to actually get down to 50. I was just, I had like, <laughs> I was like, well, I don't, I can't remove him. I can't remove him. And it was just yeah. Yeah, a big fight. So how about for you, Alex? Um, yeah, similar to, to Ben, this was my first time getting to uh, go through an exercise like this. And like I was saying to you in the, the, the preamble was, uh, you know, it's um, I, there's certain people whose jobs start before the draft and certain people whose jobs start after when it comes to doing the prospect research. And uh, I've always been sort of an after the draft kind of guy. So the biggest uh, challenge for me was, uh, you know, where do I rank these guys, especially the 22 draft class when I don't have that context of okay, who are they stuck behind? Um, you know, it, it, it's tough whenever you see your favorite uh, prospect get drafted by the Predators and you know that he's going to just get, uh, you know, a, a ball and chain attached to his ankle for the next five years um, or they end up in Arizona. But well, hey, um, Arizona's not the worst. They'll always get a chance to score. No, take like Arizona they're... over Nashville at this point. Yeah. Uh, or well, anywhere bar Barry Trotz coaches. So, yeah. so that was kind of interesting. Um, and, and yeah, now having 
you know, gone through the experience and talk to you guys and listen to some of the other episodes, I definitely would. Uh, I feel like my methodology is honed a little bit that uh, next year I'll probably have an easier time than I did in my inaugural uh, attempt here. Uh, do you remember how many you had? Did you do the same thing as Ben? Yeah, we had uh, it, we had about 65. Uh, so Ben and I co-manage a, a couple of Cap Dynasty leagues together. And uh, so we have a, a spreadsheet that we use for all of our little harebrained schemes. So uh, our list, it was 67 players that we came up with a list that we uh, that we built from. So, so we, I still missed Eurocheck on my list. So it wasn't uh, it didn't save me completely. But uh, yeah, 67 players is what uh, I was operating from. Yeah. Yeah, you guys with your exact same list. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know how it worked out like this, but that's kind of funny. I guess it's because Alex didn't answer his email. <laughs> uh, maybe that was his plan. I guess um, I threw this question there because um, you kind of talked about this, um, so that was good. You kind of touched on it, Ben. But like, what's your, what was essentially your rankings philosophy for your top fifty? So yours is pretty much going through the like hockey prospecting type rankings and NHLPE? Yeah, it's tough because uh, I think um, I never liked math growing up, but I, <laughs> when I do fantasy hockey, it's like almost all numbers. And so I start with the, I start with the models, I, you know, and then as I'm digging deeper onto certain prospects, then I start looking at scouting reports, like the Dauber prospects, profiles, guides, articles. I've been looking at the elite prospects report, which is really in depth. Um, and that starts breaking down specific skills and the translatability of skills. And so sometimes like, you know, you get a prospect in the 22 draft, like Jordan Dumais, and he put up just incredible numbers for a draft eligible, but everyone had him going in the third round. And I think he, he did go in the third round. And so that's something where I feel like the models have a bit of a blind spot. So I just try and, I try and supplement by looking, looking at a bunch of things. Yeah, I find they take points a little too much into account sometimes. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I like to look at them. I love to look at all that stuff because I like to look at all the cool little models and statistics. But some when you see some players, like, first-line potential, it's like, this guy was drafted, like, round five. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. I think I'm just aware of my limitations. Like, I'm not a scout. I'm interested in scouting. I don't think I really have the time to invest to move too far into that realm. So understanding that, limitation I, I try and find people that i i really respect in the industry and see what they're saying also yeah alex how about you what what's your uh rankings philosophy for this top um yeah it, it, you know i think it was part two of this i was listening and uh one of the guys that was on there said that he did a heavy waiting on um time until they were going to reach the nhl so if there was a lower ceiling guy who was probably going to skate some uh time on ice next year he'd likely have them higher than a higher ceiling guy. You might be a two, three year wait. So um, that, that kind of uh, impacted my thought process a little bit. That's why I had Slavkovsky uh, fall down to just inside the top 10 um, because, you know, big bodies, exceptionally sized guys when it comes to the breakout threshold might be waiting a little while on that, but um, yeah, I, I, similar. And I think it's part of the reason that Ben and I have a fairly similar list is that uh um, we, we both like, um, Mason Black's model with the PNHLE and Vader's, um, hockey prospecting. Um, it, it, it's interesting when you have guys that are, you know, NHL scout departments that, uh, they, they go and they watch tape and tape and tape. You could have six different guys with the exact same Jersey on skating and they'll know all the different nuances and tell who they are by their, their ankle angle. And I think it's just 
same clip on loop, right? Um, I'm more of the data type guy. And um, so, yeah, I like using those models to help me make decisions, but they more inform my own research and give me people to look into than uh, letting them make my decision for me. I think you can kind of fall into some of those traps. Like you'd be drafting Lucas Cormier in top five uh, picks based on his uh, star potential. And, you know, when you take a look at him, you're, you might not have him as high, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bader's I, model loves Lucas Cormier and I've been <laughs> fooled so many times. Well, How about Ryan Merkley. <laughs> Don't get me started on Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the, I think, problem sometimes with those models too, is that the QMJHL is like a much higher scoring league in all the CHL leagues. So you got to kind of take that into account. Right. Um, for me, my rankings philosophy kind of goes with like age in the um, junior leagues. Cause like, like I said before, like higher scores when like how they scored consistently throughout the whole time. Um, I'm big on AHL production um, and mm -hmm. then kind of, sort of like how long they'll be in there and then who's blocking Sort of what team are they coming to? Like you touched on Ben with Nashville and taking forever sometimes. And like Tomasino just kind of slipped in there and everyone's like, oh yeah, he played this year, but yeah. yeah. Or even I guess oh. for the Capitals too. They, they aren't a big fan of letting any young players who have skill sort of get a chance to show it for a long time. Right. Well, and Elan from Keeping Carlson made this point one time and it stuck in my mind that, uh, you know, leagues tend to fold. Like if we're being real about it, yeah. If you if you're investing in a in a keeper or a dynasty, and you're thinking it's going to be ten or twenty years or whatever, it's it's likely that a league will fall apart at some point. And you kind of like I would agree with the prioritizing the AHL production because even if you're inclined towards keeper and building for the long haul, you still got to win at some point. Yeah. <laughs> You can't be a perpetual rebuilder. Yeah. And but it, you it's, love it's having tempting. those people in your leagues. You can't get exactly. mad if you yeah. have someone else in there. <laughs> and, and that's something that, you know, even over the last couple of years, um, you know, of playing like a true uh, dynasty league and then trying to decide what's the, um, you know, motivation behind the type of players you're going to target. Uh, we started a fresh uh, dynasty league and uh, Elon's in there. And uh, Elon immediately went, um, you know, for the win, right? Like drafting players that were going to help him win now. And the, uh, the other 19 players were all drafting. So that way they'd be able to compete in 2035. So um, <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, uh, Elon and his co-manager won the league and they're a threat to repeat. And uh, a bunch of us just, uh, you know, can't wait to see uh, whether any of our players get uh, some AHL shifts by the end of uh, 2020, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, how about this then? As a fan of certain teams, Ben, you're Colorado, so you're loving the end of the season. Yeah. Um, Alex is Toronto, so he's hating life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you find that when you make a list like this, uh, you have a bias more towards your favorite team's players? Like, um, for example, for me, I can't write for the Devils, or like literally every prospect would be like a must have fantasy <laughs> own like i'm like i can't i can't i'm just be like nemich is like the next bobby or he hasn't <laughs> even been around but whatever but he's gonna be yeah do you guys hype up your own team's prospects or do you maybe do the opposite and hold too many down i i think for me i'm definitely the opposite because the uh, prototypical leap span in the fantasy hockey uh league tends to be the one who uh overhypes uh the leafs prospects and players and 
I made the joke earlier that once people find out that I'm a Leafs fan, I get all kinds of like Alex Kerfoot offers. But um, yeah, case in point, I forgot to, to put Matthew Nyes on my ranking. So I, that's how far to my own uh, inner <laughs> Leafs hatred I have. And the Leafs kind of helped me out because I don't think they've had, uh, you know, that many picks inside the first two rounds in the last five years anyways. But um, no, it's difficult. I definitely bit on uh, Nick Robertson and, uh, you know, that hasn't... Uh, hasn't paid off for me just yet. Uh, he's not in this list, of course, because he played an NHL game. But uh, it'll work out. It'll work out. Yeah. Leafs, I, I would... Sorry, the Leafs are also a tough team because they they have solid top nine, and then they sign yeah. fifteen players in the offseason, and then they have like fifteen players from the AHL who could make the squad. I well, don't and... understand why anyone signs a PTO there. And that that was my problem <laughs> yeah. with, uh, with with ranking Nyes, and uh, you know I didn't necessarily mean to leave him off, but I wouldn't have ranked him as high because. I mean, what's he going to do? Start eating, you know, like Pierre Engvall's lunch, you know, like he, <laughs> he makes the team and then what he skates with, you know, like I remember the Leafs had a couple good young players who went on to be stars elsewhere because they slapped them in between Fraser McLaren and Colton Orr for six minutes a night. And then they're like, well, he can't even score. Right. <laughs> well, so, it was a bit different of a Leafs era, but yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. they had to be tough if you can't score with those players and get off the NHL. Yeah, and, and but then again, you have a bunting who I was um, to my own discredit in one of my leagues with my smart Alex side bet that I made. I I was poo pooing the hell out of Michael Bunting, who uh, I think Ben called him a career AHLer in uh, his most recent article. And then the yeah. guy goes off because he's riding shotgun with Matthews for the whole season, right? So, what do you know? Yeah, I mean, he had like seven or eight AHL seasons. You know, like anyway, a lot of AHL seasons. It was unlikely. Yeah, I, no, that was uh I think that one was surprising because like he was he even did well when Arizona called him up and then they're like yeah we don't want you now and it's like why wouldn't you guys sign him for one mil a year yeah that no was so kidding. weird yeah and he was like a 37 year old Calder candidate yeah. this year so good for him though right <laughs> oh yeah I know he's gonna go from Calder to the old age home that's gonna be crazy but yeah Ben how about you in Colorado prospects do you hype him up too much or do you just yeah no him down I tend to keep uh, my my fandom and my fantasy pretty far apart. Like I never tend to have a lot of Colorado players. Not not that I don't want them. I just uh, I just don't really have that in my criteria for the players I want on, on my team. So when it does work out, that sounds great. But uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty far apart. So mm-hmm. plus Colorado doesn't really need prospects because we're yeah. on top. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, plus Newhook is just going to come in and probably be 2c that'd be pretty awesome exactly but yeah what about the teams that you guys write for for me the capitals are easy because there's like maybe three players and they won't get a shot so it's, it's <laughs> i don't have to overhype up too many of them i was sad to let samsonov go for free but i mean if you're mad at them, then yeah. whatever i think that's going to be great for toronto but mm-hmm. i was surprised that happened eh? yeah because matt murray is going to play four games but you know yeah, don't samsonov. i found it tricky when i took over florida because Denisenko and Tippett were the top, uh, you know, prospects. And I didn't really think highly of either, but Denisenko was, I think he was like sixth overall a few years ago in the, in the future, in the hockey. What am I talking about? The hockey news uh, magazine. And uh, yeah, he is not working out as, as he was supposed to. And so I've, I've just, I feel like a doomsayer since I came in for Florida saying, (laughs) no, no. I don't know. I think his, uh, again, like how we say when they can make the team versus when they can't, he's sort of stuck on the outside because of the numbers game too. 
he doesn't really have a shot. But at the same time, yeah. he's got to beat people to get in. So it's like, yeah, he's just, I think he put up 18 points in 30 AHL games last year. And like, that's just not a sixth overall pick or whatever, or yeah. 15th. Yeah. Now, I guess you don't really have a lot of prospects in Seattle. Hey, Alex is basically um, well, years. Yeah. The <laughs> and then that, that guy that they picked up uh, fourth overall this year, well, right? But uh, pre, pre, pre draft. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of interesting to write for the Kraken because there's this Kraken filter where opportunity is endless, right? Um, so when I was doing my 32 and 32 last year, there was a whole bunch of guys that just couldn't earn any ice team anywhere, uh, any ice time anywhere else that were going to get that ice te- time that they couldn't get uh, on another squad. And it was up to them to sink or swim. And some of the guys like Hayden Flurry and Dennis Jalowski uh, sunk and... Yeah. Um, you know, but um, there are some other guys that uh, maybe didn't flourish, but at least have earned regular NHL jobs. So uh, this year, there was a little bit less of that because the team's starting to take shape and, um, you know, getting Burakovsky and uh, Bjorkstrand was awesome. But it's nice to see some of the players they're picking up with Furkus. You know, they needed a player like that in the system. Um, you know, they went and got some puck moving defensemen, but my goodness, did they like drafting from the exact same team? I think uh, they'll have 85% of the North Bay Battalion uh, in their ranks soon. But um, it, that, that made it tricky writing for them, too, because they had uh, basically everyone they drafted this year was from the OHL. And I'm trying to do a write-up on the guys. And it's like, well, their entire junior career uh, comp- comprises of about 35 and a half games because of uh, the lost COVID season, right? But uh, that that's, I think, why you'll see a lot of interesting... Uh, shuffling over last draft year and this draft year as players start to develop yeah i guess also you had the luxury with seattle of um them being like you know this expansion draft we could get picks to take bad players but we'll just take bad players instead well i actually called ron francis i'm like look i got a lot of writing to do so if you can keep it light for me i'd appreciate it (laughs) that's good all right i will say I will say with Florida, I snuck Mike Benning at, at 38. And before I took over Florida, I didn't know who he was. But he's uh, he's someone who only popped on my radar because I was writing for Florida. But yeah. he's, he's neat. Yeah, no, no, he's good. He's, I think it's a little risky to make it. But if he makes it, it would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So this isn't the very last question I'm going to put in the end, but it's sort of like a pre prequel question i don't know um since we all have the ability of seeing this after the draft um because for the record we all had shane Wright number one would any of you shift him down in your rankings and pop slavkovsky up because alex you had slavkovsky at nine ben you had him at seven i had him at two so i can pretty much just like no i'll keep him like that (laughs) um and yeah so would you guys drop it down and pop slavkovsky up or keep them where you have them the the recent journey articles I've been writing and I've been thinking about Slavkovsky and the breakout thresholds a lot. And I would actually knock Slavkovsky down quite a bit um, if I was going to do this again, just thinking about it. Um, and I would keep Shane Wright at number one, I think. But yeah, Slavkovsky, as Alex alluded to before, he's he might be a star by like 2029, 20, yeah. 2030. If he, if he takes a couple years to hit the NHL, and then 400 games to break out. And even if you're doing like a hardcore rebuild in a huge dynasty, that's a long time. And I just, I think that has to take, that has to come into, into account at some point. 
Yeah, he, he does have the benefit of being taken first overall, though. So they'll probably stick him in the NHL, even though it's probably best if he doesn't play in the NHL right away. Mm-hmm. But, and it's also Montreal, and we know they're they have they're very patient with any prospect in Montreal. They let them take their time. They don't at all the fans. The fans are very patient <laughs> with anyone in Montreal. Yeah. How they're about still you, waiting Alan? on they're oh, still sorry. waiting on Jonathan Duran. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the one thing that was tricky for me, especially not having uh, the experience of doing it before, um, getting the idea of points, you know, like one point for a goal, a point for assist, and two points for a defenseman goal. Um, that was simple, but I, I had so many extra, like, qualifying contextual questions. It's like, well, when, you know, it doesn't matter when the guy's going to play, right? Because, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, with me, uh, I, I need things black and white. So, um, yeah, I, I think I had Slavkovsky a little bit... Uh, lower just because uh it might be a little bit longer of a wait and you know having written about ty smith in my uh century mark column and uh a couple other takes on him recently i said he was clearly uh rushed to the nhl too early uh i could see that being an issue with uh slavkovsky because you know look what's happening with quentin byfield uh, owners right now you got this guy who is you know should have gone number one ended up going number two and, um, you know, now you're like, oh, man, does this guy even know how to play hockey anymore? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, that's the same body size and type of game, the power forward idea for Slavkovsky. And I think he's going to be a player who will plan out just fine. But I also think he's somebody that you're probably going to be able to buy low from impatient owners uh, two, three seasons from now. Well, same with the guy who was drafted ahead of Byfield, hey? Yeah, no mm. kidding. <laughs> Great buy low right now, for sure. Yeah, and Kako, too. I think the uh, the New York Rangers have uh, single-handedly ruined a lot of people's uh, <laughs> plans and, and managerial styles of fantasy hockey just with uh, how they've mismanaged those two thus far, right? Yeah. Kravtsov, yeah. Lias Anderson, Heedle. <laughs> but yeah, well, the, Heedle's, yeah. Heedle, I, it's weird because they rushed Heedle in and like held the other guys back. It's, it's an interesting case for sure. Well, and, that, and that's part of the problem sometimes when you have these, uh, these NHL teams with shiny new toys again they're they're in in some cases supposedly trying to win an nhl stanley cup right not uh win their fantasy league <laughs> but, Except um, Arizona. yeah but uh you know it, it's tricky sometimes i never understand why um you know it, even if you just look at this draft alone you see all the defensemen that um you know columbus has drafted and are you going to be super happy to go after a matechuk when you've got Wierenski who's going to be there forever now Players can get traded, of course, but um, how many power play quarterbacks uh, are actually going to get playing time on Anaheim with Minchikov or uh, Matejchuk in Columbus when they already have a couple, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's tricky because um, you don't want a player to get rushed, but you also don't want some high-octane offensive player getting ripped for his poor defensive abilities when he's playing bottom six minutes uh, uh, on their NHL squad, right? Yeah, Columbus also has who else they have there? They have Boquist, Bean, and they drafted Juracek ahead. So it's like, yeah, one of yeah. those guys has to. And so far, it's going to be the guy getting paid nine point five mil. Yeah, because yeah. you you don't want to you know you don't want to stifle your young talent, and you also don't want to create an albatross contract. So I mean, players yet they can obviously get moved, but you don't do a player's trade value any benefit by you know not playing him where they thrive, right? Yeah, yeah I find it hard to... Oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. I find it hard to wait opportunity when we're talking decisions like this because I remember when the Avs drafted Nathan McKinnon, 
I wanted them to draft Drew in because we needed a winger at the time. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And <laughs> they drafted a center because they went with the best player available. And uh, I think that's the way to go because who knows what happens on the Columbus blue line by the time these guys are ready to take control, you know? Yeah. And yeah. good, good example with McKinnon, how many people sold low on him because they got impatient and yes. they weren't willing to wait for his breakout. Right. Yeah. 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 Um... But yeah, and then also since you brought up Alex, uh, Anaheim, like you look at Anaheim and it's kind of unknown who's going to be their number one power play guy. Like Fowler is going to be there forever, but Anaheim could easily just take him on the second pair. They've done it before. They got Drysdale, who yeah. Dave thinks is going to run the power play. Zellweger, who I think is going to run the power play. And then Henry Thrun, who honestly, I think most of us all kind of forgot. He's still, uh, he's still got ability and Keith Duggan was the only one to put him on his list and right that's like Anaheim's all up in the air and Anaheim is one of the best drafting teams so it's like now who's they have be Klingberg the oh yeah yeah <laughs> but right. just for one year because his agent <laughs> <Yeah>. sucks <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it's tough right because uh you know I, I I think you'll uh I mean if you read any of my stuff especially in the century mark column you'll see that I'm very careful about making any outlandish claims because how often do you uh you know bestow the the next ppqb apparent on a on a player and then he ends up getting flipped for some reason just like just like boke fist in uh, chicago right but i mean i wouldn't use chicago as a team that uh, definitely instills confidence that they know what they're doing uh, that's good <laughs> and, yeah. but but there here's a young high up uh, high upside young player who's playing decently for his age on an awful team and uh, they they flip him for Seth Jones, pay him a billion dollars, and then trade off more young talent because they can't afford them, right? So, yeah, decide to rebuild after telling Seth Jones we're actually trying to compete. Yeah, except, yeah. I, wow, what a uh, what an example that franchise is, eh? Yeah, my favorite word when it comes to fantasy hockey is likely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Could might. So, yeah. It, it should projects to. <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't really want to get into prospect defenseman projecting because i traded out of fox for an upgrade and then <laughs> the next nice. year i traded uh mort cedar for a roster upgrade so basically uh people have asked me like did i get zoeager i'm like no every time i trade a prospect defenseman these guys are the number one on the team like i'm not moving him <laughs> The one yeah. guy is so mad at me because he's a, a Ducks fan. He's like, no. I'm like, well, give me Makar. It'll be, it'll work <laughs> out. Don't worry. Yeah, in the end, it might balance. <laughs> it will. I, I, I agree with you because, you know, um, it, but that's an example. So if you have a guy like Drysdale who's sort of touted for his, um, obviously his offensive prospects, but he's, he's an all situations type of guy. And then you have someone who's um, even just an inkling better offensively, but is weaker defensively you're not going to put the weaker defensively guy in the all situations slot and then have the all situations guy run your power play. You're going to have Drysdale eat the heavy minutes and protect, um, and protect Zellweger going forward. So I, I think it's one of those things that if you're thinking who's the better all around defenseman that I want to build my NHL team around uh, you take Drysdale, but for my money, at least as we record tonight, if I'm going for um, the guy who's going to move the needle in the offensive categories I have in my fantasy leagues, I would take Zellweger, right? But even that, they, they took Matejchuk too, like you guys said. But then you yeah. have people panicking about Mo Sider and Anton <laughs> Lundell because they're they're very good hockey players, and I just think you can you can invest in them and not worry about it. Yeah, 
Yeah, I refer to a two-way player. Whenever you read a scouting report about a forward and they uh, praise his two-way skills, you're like, oh, that guy's got middle sixer at best right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Shane, right? Well, and, that, and that's part of it too. So again, in these rankings, right, if a guy is good enough, has a good enough NHL floor to play in the NHL, even if he paces for a 60 to 70 point season, but he plays 10 seasons, um, you know, that's, that's productive for your, your fantasy squad. Or do you want to swing on the guy that has the higher ceiling, lower floor could flame out potentially, right? It, yeah. it all depends on the makeup of your squad and then your strategy as a manager. So, I mean, I know that's uh, not nearly again, as exciting, but. Like what's your format, right? Like yeah. if you're just talking points only, that's, it's a really different conversation. Whereas right might impact the game like all the Bergeron comparisons, he might be getting you 700 face-offs like a Bo Horvat type, even yeah. if his ceiling is 65 or, you know, 70 points. And then at the same time, if you're in a league like that, he might never want to shoot or hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, oh, so he's good. He puts up 70 points, but my league also counts hits and shots, and he puts like, up 100. <laughs> yeah. It's, shots, yeah. Like 12 hits. <laughs> The Robert Thomas conundrum. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he went and won Yahoo League. He rarely got picked up. He got picked up if he needed some assists and that's it. Yeah. Right. It's, I, I'm amazed too sometimes when I'm looking at guys who, you know, blindfolded, I would say, oh yeah, that's a fantasy hockey asset I want on my team. And then you're like, he only accidentally bumped into seven players in 82 <laughs> games. Like, you Lou know, Phil Kessel alone. Yeah. You know, you have these guys that like, have 90 point paces but it's just like you didn't like you know as you were skating to the bench at the end of your shift accidentally bump into an opposing player like <laughs> seven hits was it jack hughes or i can't remember who yeah. it is but yeah someone like Quinn that hughes clayton yes. keller yeah seven hits but yeah uh, they're also they, they still shoot at least so they got that i think well, Quentin hughes actually Quentin hughes doesn't shoot Quentin hughes is like yeah oh, we had a, a big fiery debate in one of our leagues because of a trade where he went really expensively and Someone was like, yeah, but he's not that valuable here. <laughs> he's hype. He's a player's hype more than he should be in fantasy mm-hmm. hockey. Like if you have well, points leagues, yeah, get him. If yeah. you have leagues that like you need more than just points or special team points, he's a middle of the line guy. I, I like um, leagues that have, and I know we talked a bit before we started recording about, uh, you know, league settings and things like that. I'm always a fan of a league that has decent balance where a f- 40-point defenseman, or let's say a 30-point defenseman, who can give you 100 shots, hits, and blocks uh, is just as valuable as a, or, or near, same conversation anyway in terms of fantasy value to your league as a guy like Quinn Hughes who rakes in the points categories and then doesn't provide you any hits or blocks or things like that. So in that way, you can't just sort the NHL stats by points and then just pick an order, right? So you have to be more strategic. That's the way I like to play, and I know there's some people who don't like that. That's why Yahoo can be tough to follow, too, because they only rank <laughs> them like that. Oh, mm. I know, right? Yeah, if anyone who's getting ready for their drafts, just uh, go look at the gems you'll find in the 400 to 700 O-rank uh, <laughs> range, right? Yeah, I know. You always got to get in there 15 minutes early because that's all they allow you to get in there early. Scroll way down and go, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Exactly. I mean, I swear you never pick half of them, too. <laughs> at least I don't. But yeah, um, so let's get back into this. Um, good job on all of us um, picking Matthew Savoy so high. Um, ben, you had him five. I had him three. Alex, you had him six. So yay us. <laughs> um, so if you look at the list, um, I brought this up routinely, and I've had other people bring this up to me. 
Um, I'm the only one who has Dylan Gunther outside the top 10 because I have him at 20. Everyone has him inside the top 10. Why are you two so high on him? We talked about Arizona. Like for me, I didn't have him so high because I'm like, well, if he plays on Arizona, he's got like 40 points for like three years. Like I don't, I'm not impressed with that. Why do you guys have him so high? Um, I know his draft year, his, uh, his games were limited, but um he did two points per game, which gave him like a 49 uh, NHL equivalency in his draft year. And I've just been looking at this thing uh, by Byron Bader, where he's like the earliest that, like the age at which a player hits a 40 NHL equivalency has such a big impact on whether they become a star. So him doing that when he's like 18 gives him whatever, like a 37% chance of being a star. And then I try not to think about Arizona too much when I was thinking about Genter and then they got Cooley you know they have Keller you can start to piece something together but um I was I was displeased when he first went to Arizona but I'm trying not to think too hard about that because who knows what they look like in in three years but he he just looks like a premier goal scorer also not one-dimensional like reading scouting reports about him he's he's fairly good two-way he's he's got a playmaking sense I think he's going to be the guy that will be able to keep up with other players and compliment other players and also step up and, and score those clutch goals. Do you think he's going but, to make the NHL next year? Uh, I did include him in my Calder, like top 25 Calder people for the Dauber guide. Um, I don't think he's going to be a Calder candidate, like a serious Calder candidate, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him play a bunch of games. But, they're, but you're saying there's a chance. there's a chance (laughs) Alex how about you why do you like Gunther so much and why am I so wrong (laughs) well I I I laughed when uh Ben said he was going to try to ignore the Arizona thing and then he mentioned Logan Cooley because that's exactly what he did when his name was called at the NHL draft (laughs) I I hope he really uh sucked in like the cheers and everything like that at the Bell Center because that's probably the loudest crowd he's going to hear for the first uh like five ten years of his NHL career but um no, it, it's the same kind of idea um, uh, that we were talking about earlier when it comes to opportunity and things like that. So, I mean, eventually Arizona will get tired of being the butt of jokes and things like that. And I, I really do like a lot of the moves they're making. They do seem like, um, you know, one of those fantasy teams in your league that's just stuck in a perpetual rebuild. But, um, you know, they are acquiring good talent. And, uh, you know, when they get to move out of the uh, university parking lot and play in a real arena and get uh, the team put together... Uh, they, they have a lot of good talent and, and something that like your, your managerial chops kind of mature and wax and wane throughout, you know, as you take in more data, but, uh, you know, Clayton Keller is a kind of guy that you could have plucked off a waiver wire, um, you know, a couple of years ago, but now he's keeper in a majority of your leagues. And the only way you're going to get him from a manager is to overpay for him. Right. So a, a guy like Genther would be someone I'd want to pick. Um, with some of the other names on the board because I think he's going to have the opportunity and the team's obviously trying to load themselves with young talent and he has the pedigree to score goals and um, you know they have players on their team that hopefully grow up around the same stage of their careers mesh and gel together and uh, you know he hopefully will become an effective NHLer for them. Yeah outside of their well in their first round outside of Cooley I wasn't really a big fan of their draft same. Oh, I was like, you guys are leaving skill on there just for size, just because mm-hmm. your GM wants to be bigger. 
because which is know, ironic that, given that their works arena considering yeah well that, that's a good one but i was gonna be like given the last couple teams who just won the cup like i don't think colorado is a very big team <coughs> either and then the main the main thing i know about that huge guy they chose right at the end of the first round can you remind me what his name was uh, but his his parents made out right after they they picked him yeah <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's he, good luck but also he like, shouldn't ugh. have been in the first round though no just because he's six six actually i think he's six seven so six, that's seven. why can't can't teach size then <laughs> you can only trade it for Claude Giroux. So why are we wrong about Ganther Pat? <laughs> oh no, I, I already said I don't think he's going to produce for at least like five years. Like, why do you think that? Because is he going to be right wing with Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz? If Nick Schmaltz is even still there. Oh, Barrett Hayton, former fifth overall. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I like Barrett Hayton. I think he's still he's still he's slowly climbing. He's one of those players who you're not mm-hmm. going to think is going to have a big year. And, Two years down the line, I think he's going to kind of pop for people and have like a 30-30 type season. He just needs I to learn agree. to hit the net to start. <laughs> I've been starting to, to send offers out for him, just low-key. But you have to like send really small offers because at the same yeah. time, like you get them, you're like, oh, great. What are we going to do with these 13 <laughs> points next year? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, let's jump into um, a different player. And this is one where you guys actually have a slight difference of opinion. Um, Wyatt Johnson. Ben, you have him at 22? Um, Alex, you have him at five. I'm at 11, so I can stay neutral. But um, Alex, why is Ben wrong? (laughs) Did we lose Alex? Alex, are you still there? Oh, sorry, guys. Um, Yeah. Doesn't even pay attention. I've been, uh, I've hopefully been doing a very good job up to this point of muting myself when I'm coughing. So, uh, you know, for all the (laughs) listeners out there. Um, Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I went high on Wyatt Johnson just because his first name is my last name. So that gave him some extra points. But uh, (laughs) no, I, I, again, and, you know, you take some of the minor league scoring with the, with a grain of salt, but, uh, you know, coming, coming fairly close, not quite to two points a game in the, uh, OHL last season and leading the league in scoring definitely put him on my radar. I almost think that uh, it's unfair to, um, the the prospect pipeline that uh, Dallas has, right? So when you got Wyatt Johnson, who could be playing with Maverick Bork and with uh, Logan Stankoven, um, you know, he's definitely going to be part of the youth movement for them. And uh, I think their top six average age is about 37 and a half years old with Ben and Pavelski uh, still playing. So there's going to be a need for um, the Dallas stars to eventually start grooming players to fill those guys roles uh, in the top six. And Gurionov hasn't really grabbed the bull by the horns yet. I know he's right around his breakout threshold um, and Rupe hints, uh, you know, when he doesn't have a hangnail or a stub toe and misses 17 <laughs> games in a row, uh, there's going to be opportunity for those guys to hopefully play meaningful minutes. And uh, that, that rose him a little bit higher um, on my rankings compared to some of the other guys there. They also don't have this bonus problem there, there anymore. So they're going to actually be exciting to watch. Outside yeah. of, like line one. Okay, line one's off. Change the channel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Ben, why is um, Alex wrong here? Yeah, I think um, I have nothing against Wyatt Johnson. I think if I, if I did this again, maybe he's a bit higher than 22. I just found he kept dropping as I made my list because um, small sample size, like I think I'd have to check, but I think he was okay in his 
draft year and then he missed that OHL year. So he's one of these guys. It's a little bit of a question mark. And then he came back and lit up the league. So it's just a bit of a small sample size. I was also a little bit worried about his timeline. Like we talked yeah. about prioritizing AHL stats. So looking at, you know, Alex just talked about their top six and everything. And that can change really quickly, but they are a fairly like loaded top nine team actually when I, when I took a look at it. So yeah, he just uh, kept dropping a little bit. And obviously Dallas has those three really powerful forwards, Maverick Bork and Logan Stankoven as well. And I feel those other two are just a little bit closer and they're all pretty comparable when it comes to the upside. Um, but I, I like something a little bit better about Maverick Bork's like um, all round vision and Stankoven's like power. Yeah. Power so for he being just, so he just, small. <laughs> yeah. He just, Wyatt Johnson just dropped. A yeah. Little, no, it's fine. Bit, but, I had a player yeah. drop from 30 right out my list. So it's all good. Oh, well, wow. and Johnson also has that kiss of death. I've read a little bit about his, uh, you know, his play on the PK and then he has a little bit of a defensive prowess. And again, that's one of those things where you have a guy who um, plays wet. Not every two-way center is going to be a Patrice Bergeron when he's also an elite. Despite all the player. comparisons written everywhere. Oh, yeah. There's going to be about 62 <laughs> Patrice Bergerons in the NHL in the next five years. But uh, it, it's tricky. You might end up getting a guy. And, you know, I like the advanced tools on Dauber where maybe when I'm writing my articles, I'll take a look at the um, deployment that they get, the ozone starts and quality of competition if you have this glass cannon type player who is really great on offense but he's a bit of a defensive liability um you're not going to put him in against tough competition and start him in the d zone as much as maybe a guy like wyatt johnson who um you might rein in his offensive abilities because you need to utilize his defensive ability so that could work against him too when it comes time to play in the real world right yeah i think he's also a case where um models don't really know what to do with them. And because I'm looking at models, <laughs> I'm a little bit prey to that as well. Like in, the, in my top uh, six, for example, no one had a star percent, star like potential percentage lower than 47. And he's sitting at a 20 right now. Yeah. I think partly because what is the model doesn't really know what to do with a complete missed year for a player's draft one. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, those are kind of neat. There's also a thing with some teams too, like um, with Dallas, well, it's going to be Dallas's case in LA is that they just have so many prospects or like Toronto mm -hmm. too. And like, the, you can't fit them all in. Like we're going to be waiting on Byfield for a while because is he going to play over Kopitar or Dano? No. <laughs> like they got, there's just some teams where it's like you get drafted and you're like, okay, well, it's a good player, but like it's, he'll may, he has to battle five other similar players in like four years to try to make the team. Yeah. So and I can also hold people back. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah. I remember having the same fear with, um, you know, when Luke Hughes got drafted in um, New Jersey, right. Cause I was all in on Ty Smith for a while there. And um, you know, the one thing that uh, people always said when I was like, Oh man, you know, like, what do I do with my Ty Smith shares? And they're like, well, he could get traded. And ultimately he did. And, um, you know, now he isn't as blocked in um, Pittsburgh as um, he has become uh, in New Jersey, right? So you might end up getting some guys who um, you can't play all three of the three-headed monster of the Dallas prospects on this, you know, in the top six because there's guys already there. So maybe they trade someone to a different team with more opportunity to address 
a different need at the time later on, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, so then the next one, I'll ask um, for Dave, who's absent and um, great follow <laughs> and friend of the show, Peter Harling. Um, they have this player ranked two and three and neither of you ranked him. Um, why no Brendan Brisson, love? Yeah, I got a little bit of a, you know, uh, indigestion when I saw that uh, <laughs> they were so high up and I didn't have them at all. I think the fear for me is kind of like, you know, the jokes we made with Nashville is that, uh, you know, um, Vegas just hasn't really um, looked fantastic in terms of utilizing their um, prospect pipeline. They're like a team that's just... Um, you know, kind of like uh, one of our dynasty cap league teams right now where they're giving away max batch ready for free um, where I just, you know, you got a guy who's really good, but uh, where's he going to factor in with uh, you know, what they, they brought in Jack Eichel and is he going to get top six minutes anytime soon? So I think he just, I, I don't think if I did this again, I wouldn't rate him at all, but I don't think I'd rate him super highly just because of um, you know, concerns about utilization in the golden Knights organization. I might have them in the 30 range, like uh, some of the other fellas on the, uh, on the list have them here. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like he's another one that like Alex says, I was like, Oh man, like I should have put him somewhere <laughs> on that list. And yeah, everyone has that, that especially yeah. the first couple of years. You're always just like, Oh, I forgot that guy. <laughs> I have some now that I would definitely drop out in favor of him. I think my worry in addition to what Alex said about the, the team situation is, that he was possibly um, a bit one-dimensional. I just read a lot of reports on him about his shot and his one-timer. And um, last year in Michigan, he didn't super light it up. You know, he was just a bit below a point per game. And this year, obviously, he took an, took another step. But um, I don't know. I guess I was just a bit worried he was one of these sniper types that uh, can look really good at the junior levels and struggle to take the next step. So... Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm one who has him in the 30s, I think. Um, I don't see him right there, so I'm just going to pretend I have him in the 30s. Uh, yeah, yeah you, you had him uh, 37. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, I thought the same thing as you guys. I, I still wanted to rank him, but then I think it was, it was part two and Hayden brought up, um, it's like, well, Vegas is going to need cheap contracts. And that was maybe like, oh, yeah, like maybe I should have ranked him a bit higher. Because, like, just thinking, like, well, they did get rid of Max Pacioretty, and now who's their top number one left wing? Yeah, true, right? Right? So it's like, huh. You kind of forget that part sometimes. That part comes out. Well, in fairness to all of us, remember, we made this before they gave Max Pacioretty yeah. away. So <laughs> can't hold that against so the smart trifecta that we've got on the show right now. Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, let's pick on Alex a little. Um, yeah. Did you know you have let's... Jake Sanderson ranked the lowest of everyone at number 30? Yeah. Um, are you prepared to look a little silly in the future coming I, up next I, season? I sure. told him I was going to get him for Sanderson. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Well, Ben, do you want to make fun of him too? <laughs> yeah, give it to me, Ben. Bring well, me. I mean, yeah, he like, again, doing the Calder article, he seems like he's, uh, I think, I think he took a lot of flack in his draft year. He went fifth overall. Almost everyone said, Ottawa, what are you doing? And then he took a step forward in, um, in a tough conference. And he had the highest uh, PNHLE in Mason Black's model this past year of any player. And um, 
some people were a bit confused why he would be so high because he just he was just about a point per game. But I guess the conference that he's in and the, and the competition is a really hard league to hard place to score. So yeah, I mean, he seems to me like a little bit of a Mo Sider type in that he had that defensive floor and the mobility and the like raw athleticism. And that's why Ottawa took him conceivably in, in the, in the draft year, but now he's added this offensive gear and it seems like he's kind of an all round stud in the making, even with Shabbat in the picture, I think he could be like a, a McAvoy cider type. Yeah. Dauber also has him ranked number three, Alex. Well, I mean, come on. What is that guy have a website or something? <laughs> Curtis had him number two. Curtis Ryan's was the highest on him. And if you listen to part one, I was like, Curtis, why do you love all these defensemen so much? He was like, yeah, I was a little defense heavy. I realized that after I read this. Well, Did he get defensive? Oh, <laughs> good one. Jeepers. Well, um, yeah, I think uh, I think what kind of influenced my decision for sure. And, uh, you know, as we said at the beginning, first time doing this. So definitely uh, we'll refine myself going forward. But I, I think what made me because I chose to rank him low, it wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, like I oopsed and ranked Josh uh, raw twice. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had him lower just because he looks like the the instructions we were kind of given was two points for defensive goals and then a point for goals and assists otherwise. And um, he seemed to be a little bit more of an assist heavy type defenseman. So I didn't have him as high as some of my other defenders because I ranked a bunch above him that um, I guess I looked at a little bit more as a a goal scorer than a puck mover. And um, yeah, I definitely looked at, you know, that same idea of does Shabbat get all the, prime deployment offensively or is he going to be the all-round minutes guy and Jake Sanderson's going to be the offensive guy and I remember as Ben alluded to you know when people like oh man Ottawa what are you doing drafting him the knock that I heard on him was that he was more of a better in real life weaker in fantasy type player and he was more of the you know all-rounded two-way defenseman so I think that might have stuck with me a little bit and uh, um, kind of ate into my decision uh, making there. Yeah, no, I actually do agree there. Plus, he's got Thomas Chabot ahead of him. So, and Brandstrom, if they really want to, well, keep him on the power play, which would be smart. But yeah, like he still does have roadblocks. Yeah. So, I mean, would, I, would I rank him higher again? Yeah, possibly. But I'm not like, uh, um, you know, super embarrassed to have him low, even though, <laughs> even though you tried to make me feel that way. Pat, come on. <laughs> I mean, like, Dover Prospects had Cider at like a 8.0 upside, and they have Sanderson at a 7.5. And if I was like a bit more of a casual fantasy player and looked at that, I wouldn't think he was going to be that special, you know, not that that number means everything, but he wasn't projected to be a premier guy that he's more looking like he's, he's going to become now. Yeah. That might not have been updated recently. <laughs> I was like, we had an issue a bit when getting new writers in and putting a bunch of get that. and some yeah. of the new writers, I don't think remember that they have to update all those stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think his upside should probably be about 3.5. I mean, not upside, mm-hmm. like up, uh, certainty to make the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then, um, so you said 30, you're like, oh, I don't know if he'll score. And then you talk about Nashville, but you had Luke Evangelista 14. Yeah, and, you know, and that was, <laughs> again, just the, the total points production um, with him when I was putting things together. I, I was teasing uh, Nashville and their ability to uh, – you know, give their, their forwards playtime, but, uh, you know, maybe there is hope after, uh, we watched, uh, Philip Tomasino this year, but, um, yeah, I just, I guess I liked, uh, 
the performance out of Evangelista this year. And again, OHL, right? And uh, he got a handful of games in um, the AHL last season and didn't do a ton with it. It was only 14 games, though. But uh, he was point per game year before in the OHL and just under two points a game. He had 111 points in 62 games and balanced scoring. He's not one-dimensional. He's got 55 goals, 56 assists. And (laughs) I kind of like players like that. So, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I guess I put uh, a little bit more stock in Evangelista there. His, uh, yeah, you, you you and I, Alex have discussed Evangelista and like, he doesn't seem to be getting the love that his production this, this past year would warrant, you know, like, he was, he was actually a goal for game for most of the year. And yeah, he like, slipped a little bit, but. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, uh, it, it, I mean, the rubber's going to hit the road for a guy like that when he starts putting up, um, putting in regular shifts in the AHL. And my opinion on him um, might have a lot more to, you know, a lot more data points to look at. Like if he stinks it up in the AHL, then he definitely doesn't deserve his ranking anymore. But uh, yeah, he's, um Based on what I was looking at, uh, I, I just liked what I saw. A fifty-five point, uh, sorry, fifty-five goal score in sixty-two games. Uh, the guy knows how to find the net, albeit in the OHL, and uh, hopefully he can continue to do that at the higher levels and prove himself. I think he was a third-round pick or second-round pick. Uh, he was, uh, yeah, about a mid-second. Yeah, so yeah. that usually takes into account too, because second-round picks don't always make mm-hmm. it one hundred percent. But he's um he's also one of those guys that's a sneaky London Knights player where they keep this young player on line four and give him no ice time. And <laughs> next year it's like line one, one C, all the ice time. <laughs> that's totally what they did with him too. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> yeah, the Knights always do that. They're like, oh yeah, yeah we got these young <laughs> kids. We'll just leave them line four, and then all of a sudden next year they're the top scorers. And it's like okay. Yeah. Maybe they do some extra testing. I'm just kidding. I was just pretending. Um, <laughs> uh, so you also have, so you said you ranked Josh Roa twice. Um, is 18 your final ranking? Because that was the highest of everyone. And <laughs> yeah, why are you I, so high on him? Because you're even higher on him than Hattie, and Hattie loves Josh Wa. You know, it's funny. I've only ever seen his name written. I don't know whether it's Roy or Wa because I only I was going to say Wa because so. I think he's QMJHL. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I'd liked, um, you know, again, this was pre pre draft and then, you know, with the doc trade and things like that, the, uh, they bring out in a young center that, um, uh, will play behind Suzuki, but, uh, you know, I liked, um, his potential to, uh, come up on, uh, the Canadian squad and, you know, his performance in, uh, again, the, you know, you can look at the queue and say, well, you know, the three of us could probably uh, finish top five in scoring uh, in the QA, MHL. but um, similar idea where he came close, not quite two points per game. And then uh, did really well in the playoffs as well. When you imagine that uh, you're not just beaten up on the loser teams of the league, he was two <laughs> points a game again in the playoffs. And uh, he's been really hovering around at least that point per game pace uh, for his entire Q career. And it's been moving up. So um, we'll just have to watch more when um, he gets an opportunity to eventually progress, but I I like him. And if we were doing a draft together, I definitely would have him high on my list, but uh, that's the tricky part when you're picking guys who haven't hit the a yet is that uh, you're going to have some guys who flame out and then some guys that, uh, give you the opportunity to say, see, I was right all along, right? I was going to say, good. Well, I could leave you, let you to draft him high, and I can take someone else. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Well, Josh Roy is an interesting case because he's one of these prospects that um, all of a sudden gets a lot of hype, you know, and, and it's warranted because he turned in an amazing season. 
but he's the kind of guy that I love to pick up for free and then quickly flip to someone who is yeah. reading all these articles, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you him. No problem. Who do you got? Yeah. Or you yeah, do we... the, uh, you do the, uh, I think it was Jeff, I guess the writer at Dauber a while ago, he'd always add people pre-world juniors, like add prospects yes. who are getting high roll yeah. and flip them later. Well, I've, that's like uh, a Ridley Greg right now for me. As yeah. If I added him, I would have done that. But people already picked him because he's first round. Same to me. <laughs> I, sure. I sent out a warning to all the people in the, the league that Ben and I play in where we're not uh, partners, where we're competitors, is that before you accept a trade offer from Ben, write to see if he wrote an article on him this week <laughs> uh, because he's probably just inflating his value so he can take advantage of you guys. No. no, that's the worst part is when people in your league follow your writing. You're just like, no, I'm like, look at this guy. This guy's yeah. good. And you're like, because I don't have him added. So maybe you could add him in your own league. Then they yeah, add exactly. him and they try to trade him to you. And you're like, damn it. Yeah. yeah, now I know exactly how you think about the guy, right? Yeah. But yeah, so then we're all so smart for having Zellweger ranked. Um, ben, you had him eight. I had him seven. Alex had him 13. Yeah. Um, and just to give the readers <laughs> here or listeners, I guess, unless people have a well, I don't know if that's a thing, but listeners and watchers, um, you guys can see how close Ben and Alex were here and how much they collaborate. Um, I pulled a few. Um, Isaac Howard, Ben had a 24, Alex 22. <laughs> Daniel, you're off. Ben, 27, Alex, 23. Matt Benning, which obviously Ben was like, hey, Alex, put him on your list. <laughs> 38 for Ben, 44. Yeah, I'm trying to flip him in a league. Can you give me, uh, give me a boost here? Rory. Kieran's uh, 34 for Ben, 32 for Alex. <laughs> and like lots of other people didn't have those guys ranked as high as you guys. So I was trying to pull some out and I was like, damn it, you guys have the exact same on so many parts. Well, yeah, but I can't, I, I can't remember now whether I said it before we started recording or after, but uh, you know, Ben and I have been co-managing uh, hockey teams uh, together for uh, several seasons now. And uh, you know, he kind of got me uh, inspired to start writing for Dauber as well. And we, we, you know, I work with a ton of people. I got a ton of people in my local social circle, but uh, for some reason, everybody wants to watch all the boring sports and they don't like hockey. So uh, <laughs> Ben and I probably talk to each other more than we talk to our wives and we're always talking about fantasy <laughs> hockey. So either we uh, have a great uh, camaraderie that way because we think alike or we've developed uh, the hive mind to think alike because we talk to each other so much. So I'm not surprised that we came uh, pretty uh, similar in a lot of our uh, thinking here. I'm going to go hive mind with some of these guys. No. <laughs> that was the word in my mind too. <laughs> but um, I guess here's one for Ben. Uh, Nikita Chibrikov. Chibrikov? You had him as your 37th ranked prospect. Alex didn't have him at all. I was actually the only other one to rank him at 46. Um, why are you so high on him? Yeah, he's... um. And I, <laughs> in a league that Alex and I are competitors in, Alex ended up taking him quite high and then was kicking himself for a while <laughs> until you yeah, um, until you put him high on your list so alex felt yeah right better. yeah i felt a lot better after i saw that <laughs> i think the main thing with me with chibikrov like when i read his scouting reports and, and the really in-depth stuff on him i get a little bit more worried but i think my, the main thing that informed that choice for me is his vhl production um just check it out again but it gave him um it gave him a 45 um draft eligible like in his draft year um, NHLE production so I think he went like a point per game in the VHL which is basically the Russian men's league but one step below the KHL and I just don't see that that often and that that made him stick out to me um, a little bit like a 
a light version of Fyodor Svechkov, who did who produced similar numbers um, in his in his draft one, and uh, him going to Winnipeg also felt favorable to me. You never know what the Russian guys if, if they're going to come over or when they're going to come over, but um, I could see him coming over with that with that recent positive experience against men in a pro league and uh, and sliding into the lineup. So he's a he's a decent gamble in my books. I think he might go KHL first before he would come over here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the MHL and VHL and and when those leagues try to statistically um, guess on players, I find are also kind of all over the place because MHL is like there's five top teams and then that's it. (laughs) Yeah, they just... It's they tricky. destroy other teams. So it, it's tricky to get an idea too, because you'll look at a guy and, and trying to dive into any deep stats on some of those uh, lower tier Russian leagues is tricky because you know <laughs> how do you find them? But but then you know you look on a site like Elite Prospects or Dauber where you just get sort of the gross stats and you're like, oh look at this guy, he's only got seven points in 58 games, and it's like, <laughs> well you know he only played 45 min- 45 seconds a night, and that's because yeah. they counted the time on the ice when he was sweeping in between faceoffs, <laughs> right? So. Um, yeah, it, it's just such a totally different league in that regard where you'll get these young guys who, um, yeah, you know, they're, they're stapled to the bench and they play 37 seconds a night, but it counts as a game played. Right. So it, it there, there's a lot of potential for, um, exploiting, um, inefficiencies with those players, but then there's also a lot of potential to, you know, draft people who never materialize like Ben did with his pick on Chibrikov there. <laughs> <laughs> and I did in my in our league, which I'm still kicking myself for taking. Yeah, PK. Oh, did you want to say something, Ben? Oh yeah, no. I just I think his trajectory is looking really good, especially if as a comparable, if you look at Murat Kuznodinov, which I've really had to pronounce uh, verbally. <laughs> um, don't know, worry, I am terrible at pronouncing these. I don't know if you guys have noticed yet. I am just I don't know what it is. I used to be amazing at pronouncing like any sort of Russian or Swedish name. And then for like two years, I was like, I just wanted to pronounce it funny for fun, at, like for people, like just so I could seem like a moron. And now I can't get <laughs> any of them right anymore. <laughs> so I'm like, damn it. Yeah, yeah like, I'll just call him Murat. Like, I think he's on, yeah. a, on a comparable trajectory to Murat and uh, which is a pretty good trajectory to be on. And, you know, we'll see in a couple of years how he turns out. Yeah. And, and then the risk there too, is like, you know, you, you mentioned the trajectory that Murat was on and he was a guy that, um, you know, we held on a couple of our joint teams and between mm-hmm. you and I, we held on our uh, teams where we compete against each other. And thank God we moved, uh, we moved away from him and because, you know, now he's gone back to the KHL and who knows when, let alone if we'll see him uh, come back over to North America. Right. Yeah. It was like a two-year contract or something. Yeah. yeah so, and who knows if that impacts his development, if he gets, you know, a bench stapling there as well, um, or if he just decides that, uh, you know, why not play in the KHL? Why come over and compete for a space in the Minnesota Wilds, you know, chock full talent pipeline and uh, just stays stays in the K, right? Now you're stuck holding the back. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised with that too, considering the Wild need young players as they had $14 million in dead cap space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, speaking of Russians, Alex, uh, Matvey Petrov from Edmonton is ranked number 41 for you and no one else ranked him. What's the deal? Have you ever, have you ever just had a, you know, passionate summer fling, Pat? That was me for a period of time with Matvey Petrov. <laughs> I just, there's some, there was just something about him as I uh, was reading up on him. I'm like, wow, I really like the look of this guy. And I don't know if I still... 
uh, you know, we've decided to go our separate ways. I don't know if I still <laughs> feel the same way about them. Um, I, I think when I was putting things together and just taking a look and I, again, it's tricky because uh, you're looking at OHL dominance. You have a guy who scored 40 goals in 63 games and, um, you know, paced okay. The goal scoring went away, but he still gave us 10 points and 13 playoff games, uh, um, you know, in the OHL. And, and he was also someone whose uh, MHL numbers didn't like mystify me. You know, like when you take a look, I see 58 games played, 22 goals, 20 assists, 42 points. Here's a guy who's actually producing. And there's no question about, is he playing, you know, like the double jeopardy timer on uh, minutes every night. Right. And, um, you know, he was a, he was a performer on his team. He was um, second in scoring sandwiched in between two San Jose players. So I I like the look of him. And, uh, you know, some of the readings about him is that he's got a strong uh, shot and, uh, you know, he's got a, he's a good sized player. So yeah, I, I liked him. And then I had him ranked uh, kind of high, but if I did it all over again, uh, would I still have him as high? Definitely. I definitely would rank a lot of the 22 players um, higher now than I did pre draft because one, now I have the context of where they went and two, I'm just more familiar about them. There's so much more written about them now, but uh, you know, I think the Oilers could use a guy like Petrov, whether he earns the opportunity or not is up to him. But uh, yeah, you know, a guy who uh, round six pick doesn't always turn into uh, to gold. But uh, you know, L- Nick Lidstrom exists, right? So there's there's still hope. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, there always is. He can play. He's a forward, right? I was completely spacing on. Him yeah, right he's now. a winger. Yeah, yeah. And like, any chance you can play with McDavid or Drysaitel? Like, that was pretty much the reason for always drafting anyone the Penguins drafted. Was yeah. like, hey. They can play with Crosby or Malkin. But. I mean, look at some of the claims adjuster and IT guys that uh, the Oilers have run out on the wing for Connor <laughs> McDavid over the last five years. And they always go in the top 30 picks, right? So there's still a chance for a high upside uh, goal scorer that uh, is one of their picks. But uh, yeah, you know, he's got uh, he's got a lot more proving to do. He's only uh, um, he's a young 19, right? So still a little bit before we even see if he comes uh you know, comes to the pro ranks and puts up the same numbers. Yeah, he's still got a while. Um, ben, um, Detroit's Johansson, you have at 43, the defenseman. I forget his first name. Albert. Um, Albert, yes. I kept thinking something completely uh, wrong. I just didn't want to <laughs> say the wrong one. <laughs> Shut up. I knew it started with an A. We <laughs> um, had him at 43, and I think you're the only one to rank him. Uh, what do you like about him there? Yeah, I think um, he's a guy that I've seen, or he profiles and is compared to uh, Nils Lundqvist a lot over in New York. And people have soured a lot on Lundqvist recently. But He's another um, one people should try to target right now, listening to us. Absolutely. But it's just <laughs> the Rangers' blue line. Like, he's got no room. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Think, I don't think Lundqvist has done a lot to necessarily warrant all of the, like, quickly soured projections on him. Yeah. And... I think Johansson is is like a quite close to Lundqvist, um, comparably looking at their SHL production, and uh, I think he's really flying under the radar. So it's kind of interesting to me. I know he's arriving in a in a Detroit blue line where he's got Cider, Kronick, Edvinson at least above him, but I could see him playing in Detroit's top four. And given the the steady progression, like we're talking about progression a lot, and his trajectory is like building every single year which is great to see and uh 
it, that makes sense to me also because he's had three years in the SHL, which I also uh, uh, like weight quite heavily because that's quite unusual for a younger player. And so I think next year he'll be in the AHL and we'll see like Detroit will be able to see what they have with him and then, and then go from there. But they also I, I think put, a, uh, sorry, they also put Ben Chirot in his way because they wanted a $4 million pylon. Yeah. Well, that won't last long. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think he's, he's, he's an interesting all around player who has some offensive upside and I think he's, he's quite under the radar. So I'm, I'm curious to see about him. Can I, uh, can I hit you with one, Pat, on a uh, completely selfish note? I want you to make me feel the same way that you feel about Kirill Marchenko. <laughs> hey, I yes. get this one every time. I yeah. Uh, well, no, I mean, ever since your... he was, he, Marchenko for me is, you know, one of those players, once they get drafted and you always like them. Yeah. Like, well, for me, before the draft, then you just always stay high on him. That's who Marchenko is for me. Like, I think he could, like, for me, honestly, I still think he could be, like, a number one right wing in Columbus. Like I, I am, I'm that high on him. Patrick Liney? That guy doesn't play two way hockey, but at least Marchenko. <laughs> can. No, um, no, that that's yeah, that's the whole reason with Marchenko. I think he could be a top line, top six, uh, like right wing scoring guy. And I've he's... always been high on him. And maybe like I, I completely admit, like I might have a bias here. And maybe every time I watch him, I'm only looking at the positive stuff. Yeah, sure. Because like he's finally getting minutes in the KHL and that's hard for young players to do and he's one of the top players on his team so yeah that's always impressive for me I mean everybody has their Matt Bay Petrov right so yeah well <laughs> at the same time for me I can be like well I kept Kirill Kaprizov up in the top five of my ranking forever so yeah well and I don't a... think they're the same just I, I like Marchenko yeah. a lot I don't think he's that good but yeah. well they got the same first name so yeah <laughs> um, but no he's an interesting guy just contextually um like outside of performance and things like that but you know how sometimes when you all of a sudden you hear a guy get start mentioned it starts getting mentioned in your uh you know, your, your league chats or he starts getting offered to you or picked up off the wire. And you're like, what, who are these guys reading? Right. Marchenko is one of those guys who was very quiet. Didn't hear too much about him. I stashed him for a little bit and they just didn't make my keepers. And then now, um, you know, he's been picked up in every league and he's been offered to me in a trade. So I just noticed that he was a bit of an outlier for you and uh, wanted you to save me some time uh, searching him up. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not like I, I fully um, accept that perhaps I have like a certain, previously drafted or previously liking this player goggles on but i've sure. always just been really high on him well i've uh, got another one if we're dumping on pat sure and maybe maybe you've heard this before but you didn't rank simon edvinson and i'm curious nope. about that no um i don't know i just i i don't i i just i've never really thought of it as a big high scoring guy and i put other defensemen and forwards in front of him it's pretty yeah, simple he- as that is he more one of those like uh, all situation like better in real life type? Uh, yeah, I think they pretty much have Cedar locked into the number one power play, right? After all, he pretty much did. It's like this Edmondson guy is going to be stuck uh, as like the even strength guy, I think. And and that's one of those things that I mean, I know the the assignment for this was uh, we were supposed to let points only be our our uh, guide, but uh, you know when you're looking at things in fantasy, is that. Yeah, a guy might, depending on your league um, settings, of course, but if a guy is more the the Drysdale to a Zellweg or an Edmondson to a, a Cider, then, you know, if, if he's the all-situation guy, then he's going to be able to fill, potentially fill more stat categories for you. So, I mean, if you're in a head-to-head league and you win goals by 15 in one week, 
um, you know, a win's a win. It only counts for one. But if you can get those guys that are more all situational and, uh, you know, score points, there, there might be a benefit to not shunning guys like that in some of your leagues, but, you know, definitely in points only. I agree. Those all situational guys, uh, you know, might not be those giant uh, offensive dynamos that we look for in our fantasy hockey defensemen. Yeah. And for me, I've always found Edmondson still kind of overhyped. Like, I think people are all just like, oh, it's a high hero that Steve Eiserman took. He's obviously going to be a top player. Oh, perfect segue, Pat. Why (laughs) did none of us rank Marco Casper? Um, I just think he's going to be more two-way than anything. Did I, I don't know if I've ever seen, you know, how people like come up and they do those flowery introductions. It's like, you know, thanks for much, so much for being gracious hosts. Congratulations to the avalanche, the church's chicken down the street. Fantastic. Steve, (laughs) you're a great host. Gave me extra French fries. And, uh, we pick from the OHL, blah, blah, blah. Steve Eiserman walked up to that podium. Like he had just taken an Imodium HD and was like, Marco Casper, and then ran (laughs) back to his seat. So He obviously saw something that he liked, but uh, he didn't even make the top 50 for any of us here. Well, they, they were rumored to take him for like four months. But um, I think if it was after the draft, people would put him higher. I kind of had him on the outside. I think I had two other players even ranked ahead of him. Mm-hmm. But for me, he's just he's more like a high floor, low ceiling player, right? Like right. if you're going to pick him, it's like you think he's probably just going to be a 3C. Like, he could have a chance to be, like, a second-line center, and that'd be awesome. But um, he's more just, like, a smart guy. They're going to be, like, kill all the penalties. Check yeah. these guys. Yeah. But at the same time, like, he could also just be like, hey, I'm the second-line center who goes 20-50. Yeah, so. and that's one of those things that's always so tough. It's like, you know, you, you do – do you trade for your bottom six? Do you develop your bottom six? But there's, you know, just that. <laughs> or if uh, you're Boston Bruins, you draft them all in the first round. <laughs> oh, man, I, I absolutely love those uh, using that draft as a as a revisit. Oh, but, no, I'm um, not going to go 2015. I get enough yeah. trouble from Boston. I'm talking about Trent Frederick and then um, the other guy with a T name who I completely forget now. Uh, but that's that's the thing, too, is like, you know, is is a top 10 pick for picking the sure thing, even if he's a high floor, low ceiling. Or, you know, are, should you trade down in that case then? Are you, are you more looking for the, the boom-bust type prospect in the top 10? Maybe not in a draft like this because, you know, it's more about width and, and breadth than it was about, uh, you know, high offensive people. But, yeah, it's just an interesting pick. I know because it was uh, Stevie Eiserman who picked him, now all of a sudden he's going to go top 10 in your fantasy hockey drafts. But, yeah, I think know, people... Talk- People are over or overrating. I think a lot of what Eisenman does. Like he also signed, like I said earlier, Ben Chirot to that deal. And yeah. And- well, you talk you talk about format too. I mean, like Marco Casper is attractive for me as a guy who plays almost exclusively multi multi cat because he was like he just goes out and hits everything. <laughs> and yeah. if he could if he could give me fifty points and he could be like a better tenor right. to know, that's pretty attractive. You know. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah, because that always makes you wonder, too, is that, uh, you know, if he ended up going, uh, you know, just to pick later to the team that won right after Detroit, uh, I think it's Buffalo. Yeah, if, if if Detroit took Savoie and Buffalo took Casper, are we still talking about Casper, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, so we talked, well, actually, Alex, you brought this up for not ranking guys because you said you completely forgot. Um, ben, did you forget <laughs> about Matt Nyes too, or what's going on? 
I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's not someone that I, I knew very much about at all. And uh, I've been seeing him pop up more on, on Twitter and, and different, you know, different chatter here and there. And what I've been seeing has been incredible. And he's one of the guys that if I was going to redo this, I think it had maybe eight people and he's one of them that I would want to include. Yeah, I had him at 15. I just think there's a chance next year because he's he's got the size already for the NHL. Like the kid is massive. So I think he's got a chance pretty much at the end of the year next year. Like once his NCAA season's over, just to jump straight to the Leafs. And I know we already talked about how the Leafs are pretty much have these millions of players signed, but uh-huh. I think he's someone who could jump right to line two with Tavares and Nylander if they're like, we need a big guy here. Yeah, and that's, that, that would be one of the things, I mean, I, I didn't rank him, but if I, um, you know, I probably, I probably would have been a little bit lower on him just because of opportunity. And, you know, how many times we've seen before you have this highly touted uh, um, Leafs prospect is going to be the next big thing that uh, they just don't utilize well enough. Or, you know, you have an offensive stud, but uh, you don't have position for him because the team would be up, you know, whether Nylander would be upset or whether the fans would be upset if all of a sudden he's on the third line. Right. So, yeah. but if, if you can play bunting as a first line left wing all season long, <laughs> uh, then, you know, you can play Matthew nice as the first line uh, left winger all season long. And there's also something to say with that too, that like Matthew bunting worked, but Nick Ritchie did not work. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of amazing. Cause you're like, well, Nick Ritchie at least looked good before. And then he went there and it was like, he looked like, he was so lost and like, but I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to hit anymore. I'm just going to stand here. I've never seen a more befuddled look on a player's face when he hit the bench <laughs> than Nick Ritchie. But where did he go other than the place where fantasy hockey dreams go to die other than the Arizona Coyotes? And he was perfectly serviceable there. So it was it the pressure cooker. Was he dealing with an injury that just didn't become public? Was, you know, he uh, it's just the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, you know, yes, is it just the Harold Ballard curse again? But, <laughs> well, no, um, there's the there's the old hockey games. I don't know how if you got you guys probably played the NHL games, right? Oh, like yeah. the EA ones that, oh, that yeah. don't ever change forever. But like back, I think a few years they had chemistry lines. Like they that's hilarious. That. I was just gonna say this. This is yeah, perfect. and I feel like putting him on that line would drop the chemistry like ten points. But putting anyone and else then everybody sucked. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> And, and that's just the thing. Some people are Swiss army knives and, you know, follow doing the crack and writing. That was the big thing is that they drafted a lot of guys who um, were the Swiss army, like Yanni Gord in uh, Tampa Bay, but now he's going to be an offensive player in Seattle that you need a guy who can play all situations. And, you know, maybe Nick Ritchie just wasn't cut out for the role that the Leafs had for him the same way Jimmy VC wasn't cut out for the role that the Leafs had for him. And um, there's the archetype of player that they want on that top line, but, some guys just aren't cut out to be that guy. And, you know, I would love if Nyes is able to fill that hole because if you can get a three-year entry-level contract um, playing on your top line, then that sure as hell helps uh, get you through a couple more Tavares years. It's it's going to be Nick Robertson. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I hope so. You're also you're giving me Jimmy Vesey um, looking back on vibes that were making me go like this all year for the Devils because <laughs> Lindy Ruff was like Jimmy Vesey top line. And it's like he, like Jimmy Vesey looks good. But he can't score. It's the uh, he just he shoots from anywhere and it's like well he looks like he should put up so many points. What does he have? One goal in twelve games. Okay, why is he still on the first line? Like it's just, yeah, it, it's one of those things Lindy that Ruff if you. If you if you snatch somebody out of the opportunity before they're able to gel with their line mates and be like, see, we put you on the top line for 17 and a half minutes and you didn't score, 
then yeah, you can be too slow. But when has a guy shown you who he is and what he is, and he's not warranting of that opportunity and you need to get somebody else in there. Right. So that's, and, and as guys who I believe all put stock into the breakout threshold ideas that, uh, you know, you have a, a normal sized guy and you're like, well, the first 200 games of his career don't really matter. It's just what happens at 201. You know, how many games inside of a season does a guy get before he finally settles into a rhythm and starts uh, producing properly? But sometimes with guys like Nick Ritchie, it's like, you know, you can't give him any more opportunities. And, <laughs> and, you know, he's yeah. just he's just the definition of insanity, giving him the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. Yeah. Um, let's try and see if I got anything else I can throw at you guys here. Oh no, I didn't know if Ben was gonna chime in there, but no, I got I got something quickly. Um, the one player who I talked about earlier, who I had at about thirty, and then he dropped all the way down, was uh, Sasha Pastuyov. Pastuyov. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. But Alex, you had him ranked at thirty-eight. Um, why do you like him so much? Like for me, um, he he was really good at the beginning of the year, and then just phew, as the year went. So that's why I kind of dropped him off. And he sort of did the same thing in my rankings. I had him here and then he dropped off as I added more players. Why do you like him so much? Yeah, he's just, uh, you know, he's just a guy who can score goals. And uh, I think a lot of it was that uh, I drafted him in one of our uh, keeper leagues and ran into too many keepers and I dropped him. And me and Ben's uh, buddy in real life snapped him up about 13 and a half seconds later. So um, <laughs> I still have that bitter taste in my mouth. But um, no, I mean, you, you have a guy like uh, Zegris in, uh, uh, in uh, Anaheim who's just a, a wizard and look what he did for Sonny Milano's career. And, yeah, you um, got him a contract. Oh, wait. <laughs> no kidding. Right? <laughs> so you got a guy like Mason McTavish who might end up being slotting just above or just behind him, depending on how Anaheim decides to roll their lines. And here you have a goal-scoring winger, big body, and um, he's got a great shot. So he's going to do – he's going to slot in beside one of those two guys. And um, so I, I just like what's what his potential is uh, given that deployment. Yeah, like I didn't rank him, but he's interesting because he's one of these guys who's uh, like I think of as like a Luke, Luke Robitaille type because he's very skilled. He's got the IQ. He's got the, the goal scorer's instinct and the shot. And it, the main one of the main knocks that I remember about him from his draft year is his skating. And that's one of those things that maybe they won't make you like a supreme skater, but they could like a good skating coach and a good development team. That's one of the things I'm a little bit less worried about with the prospect. Yeah. Skating is always easier to fix. I yeah. think every single one of the Kraken prospects that I profiled in the 32 for 32, um, the the main knock on him from any of the scouts I read up on was their skating mechanics. And, uh, you know, and that's just the thing where look at look at some of the people that uh, NHL teams bring in on their staff just to help fix some of those issues. Now, not everybody's going to be able to change the way they move their body, right? But um, it's a lot better it's a lot more likely that you'll be able to enhance those issues than all of a sudden teach a guy how to think the game differently at speed, right? Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, I actually completely spaced. Um, did you want to talk about any extra picks? Yeah, I mean, um, I could do like a quick hits of uh, surprising ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were a few. I think Dauber had a couple yeah, that we made fun Dauber of before. <laughs> Dauber had, uh was the only one that had Nick Perbix. Yeah. And he had him at 29. Um, I had to look him up. He yeah. seems like a 
like he's on a decent trajectory, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, he had Caden Gooley all the way up at 11. Yeah, I was interested. I was interested. A lot that. of us, yeah, a lot of us, the part two one, were like, we probably should have ranked him a little higher because his offense just like took off last year. It did. Yeah. And, and that's something that I just didn't have in my, in my brain was when I think of Caden Gooley, rightly or wrongly, and well, apparently wrongly, um, I always thought of him as more of, uh, you know, a lower offense type of guy. So, um, well, kind, you of gotta... like, kind of like Carson Lambos, I feel like also mm. took a step kind of like Sanderson. Yeah. Um, Dave had, uh, no, not Cruz Lucius, which Lucius, Chaz, Chaz Lucius at nine, nine <laughs> which I thought was surprising because he had a bunch of traction during his draft year and then didn't do amazing in college. So that one stuck out to me. He still uh, had uh, Kavanoff also ranked at 46. I brought that up. Yeah. So he's like, that's one, that's a player I still really like. Just, he shouldn't be on my list, you know. That's, um, you know, it's interesting. We talked about Casper, who was a guy whose actual draft ranking uh, definitely, you know, was way ahead anywhere we had him. Cutter Goche went way, and I think it was kind of expected he'd go mm. pretty soon, but a uh, lot of NRs on our uh, rankings. A lot only, of NRs. Only two guys had him inside the top 20. His highest ranking was... Uh, uh 14th sorry who was this quickly uh cutter goche yeah 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 i don't think i ranked him i just think he's a player who's gonna take a long time yeah and and that's the thing because correct me if i'm wrong i don't have him in front of me but he's uh is he a smaller guy no he's a big guy a big guy gotcha yeah but i think like i said when i started this thing everyone's draft is kind of all over the place because yeah totally yeah, but I was also, let me point this out. I was the only one who had uh, William Dufour ranked um, at yeah. 33. Yeah, I wanted to give you props for that. That was really good on your part. Yeah, I don't know how good that'll be because, again, that's just, he's a big player in the QMJHL, but at the same time, he's getting all the hype. Um, I don't know. I, I also found, as I talked about this last time, like I have all these Islanders ranked and I don't know why. Like yeah. Simon Holmstrom, he finally showed something in the AHL. And I was like, you know, First round pick, they brought him up too quick in the AHL, but now he's all of a sudden, he like was really good in the last half. And I was like, I think that's something to keep an eye on. I was going to just remind you to Venmo me that 25 bucks for having Marosh Nachenko uh, ranked so high on my uh, rankings. I, he was on my list of the ones that I, uh, I had him 37th, uh, Watson had him 45th, and everybody else had uh, the NR there, but uh I was surprised being the Washington guy that uh, you didn't have him uh, at all <laughs> well, on there either. Eh? This was pre-draft, right? Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. but I did have, um, you know, you guys could also make fun of me for having this one guy at 19 that no one else had ranked. You had oh. Gritsyuk. Yeah, no, yeah. I flagged that. I was like, uh, <laughs> interesting. Now, yeah. he's a guy that I have stashed in a couple leagues, but um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, it gives me a little bit of uh, excitement that uh, somebody's got him that high. But uh, yeah, he's also but, a Devils fan who maybe is overranking him, but he's well, also loving his KHL production because it's like this guy has just forced the team absolutely. to play. Yeah. If you if you were look at uh, you know some of the farm lists that uh, you know Ben and I have in our dynasties or even in our own individual teams, you'd think that we were uh, Devils homers too, right? So um, yeah, what do we what do you know about Gritsyuk that you could uh, enlighten us on? Just pretty much what I said. I haven't watched a ton of KHL, so it's just yeah. just tons of highlights of him scoring. And like I said, he forced yeah. his way as a young player yeah. to 
be used all the time. And that's, I think, pretty high praise that you got to give players when they're in the KHL. Like, again, with uh, Marchenko, he's basically forced that team. Like, even if he's not scoring, they still play him a ton because he's so good. Yeah, just even earning the the minutes not driving the Zamboni, right? Like yeah. we touched on earlier. Yeah, where, where they have, like, they're technically on the game roster, but they played zero minutes. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine. That way you see a player like two points and 27 KHL games, and you look into it a bit, and it's like, oh, the two points he got was the game he got five minutes, and the rest of the time yeah. he got four yeah. seconds. Two points in like 60 he's... games, but his points per 60 is like 97. Yeah. <laughs> Danil Yurov was like that, right? Like he yeah. had like two points per game in the MHL and then almost like almost zero in the KHL with no minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he's a good one. I actually, I don't think I had him ranked. And yeah, that was one I feel like I could have put him a lot higher. You know who else didn't have him ranked? This is, I was hoping Dave would be here because he only ranked uh, five, if I've got this right, five twenty-two draft eligibles so he didn't he didn't rank at all Nemich, Juracek, Nazar, Goche, Lakaramaki, Lambert yeah. you know if the I, list goes on. If I remember correctly he put more emphasis on players who are already drafted because it's like the timeline to get the NHL oh, a lot sooner. He might have been enough. the guy that said that when I was listening to the previous episode. Yeah actually you've got a guy uh, Sam Poulin is a guy that uh, you know Ben and I were high on in some of our goal is leagues that we've started to kind of move away from tell me mm-hmm. why uh we shouldn't have done that ah you already know why it's a chance to play with crosby or malkin <laughs> right or that's at least... pretty much that's the whole reason why he's there like he played a little better in the hl this year but right. who else do the penguins have and if enter in the injury comes up like where's he gonna play so uh, unfortunately the injury is likely gonna happen to crosby or malkin yeah <laughs> but their, then you their know number... someone anyone comes up in the system for pittsburgh and they're yeah. just because of uh, Sullivan's coaching, it's just they're still they still play yeah. great. It's the I think the thing. if you look at uh, the number one line mates on Frozen Tools for Crosby and Malkin, you're probably going to see Rub A five three five be uh, <laughs> be up there. Yeah, at least for Gino. <laughs> Patch. Uh, yeah, is that good for that? Anyone else you guys want to point out? Like, it, Dave's not good. here to make fun of, but we did make fun of him <laughs> a lot on part two. Yeah, I can't, no. I can't. I can't see anyone that's like. I see guys that they're the only one who ranked him, but then they rank him in like the bottom ten. So it's not enough to be like, oh wow, what a what a reach. There's uh, actually wait a second. Here's uh, one. Who is it? Hadi. Hadi has Tristan Robbins and Daniel Gushin on there. Now he's maybe yeah. he's just a San Jose <laughs> fan, or Victor paid him fifty bucks to rank them high, but. Uh, <laughs> Victor yeah. might just be listening to Hattie, and that's why he put them on his team. Too. Like, <laughs> don't forget that. I think Hattie also, <laughs> Hattie also didn't rank Matt Savoy at all, yeah. which is surprising to me. Yeah, I wonder if there's any noticeable non-ranks from the top other than the guys that we already mentioned. But uh, I think I was surprised that uh, fun to learn the Hattie part. He was on part one. Like Olin Zellweger, we already spoke about him, but he went in the top three. Uh, the, sorry, the top 10 three times, and he was not ranked three times. So, yeah, so I thought that disparate. was interesting as like an oddly divisive player. <laughs> yeah, but, right. No, I made fun of uh, where is he? I made fun of Keith for that and Pete and Hattie. Nice, they, you get they, they all, <laughs> yeah, I did, and Dave too, because he had him at 43. He wasn't <laughs> safe. I don't know if anyone had, uh, given how high he went in the actual, um, the actual draft now again grain of salt it is chicago but uh korchinski the highest rank he had was 37th from peter 
Hottie had him at 47. And then, uh, yeah, he had yeah. one other ranking at 48. Oh, he had two rankings. He's one of those risers, you know? Yeah. But like, even just as quickly as, uh, I think maybe Chicago probably read our prospect report, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Or technically, yeah. even right now, if we were to redraft again, like a bunch of us have Atu Ratu not ranked. Yeah. By yeah. a bunch of us. Yeah. Uh, Curtis Adam 10. Like, how smart does Curtis look right now? Curtis, if you're listening, props to you after <laughs> like a month ago. But yeah, I had him 35. Alex had him, I had him at 28. And yeah, but well, you guys have all these players similar. So I just been like, <laughs> Alex, you have him 26. And Ben is three either higher or lower. <laughs> but yeah, I, I put Korczynski in at 48. Just, um, I don't know. I found it a little bit hard to distinguish between him, Minchikov, and uh, Matejchuk. But they all seem like a little bit like really high octane offense, like point per game as defensemen in their draft year. But um, it's not clear if they're going to be able to adapt to the NHL style. So I thought it was worth the, worth the upside gamble, but well, and then all the Blackhawks, all three of those guys ended up going within five picks of each other. You know, you got mm-hmm. Kaczynski went first at seventh, and then Minchikov and Matejchuk went uh, on either side of Connor Geeky at 10th and 12th. So, you know, that's, you hear a lot about the new NHL and um, you know, that's the thing where even Bader had a, had a bit on that on Twitter, not too long ago, just about how, um, really interesting. I wish I had it in front of me just so I could give more context, but, uh, they talked about offensive defensemen based on their size, high ceiling, low, um, stature defensemen are like woefully undrafted, um, in the NHL. And then you'll find those similar guys with bigger bodies, um, are just exponentially higher percentage get drafted in the NHL. Now that's like, well, yeah, though, obviously because they need to, have big bodies to play on the blue line. But if the new NHL is about the shifty mobile, smaller ish defenseman, um, you know, that's a, a weakness that uh, fantasy hockey managers can look to uh, exploit in advance. The, the only issue with that is um, what I would like to call NHL coaches. Yeah. Right. If we could just get rid of them <laughs> and make our lives a lot easier. Right? Yeah. They, they don't like, <laughs> like TJ Brennan could probably be running a power play in the NHL, but yeah. No one's liked him enough to trust him, and he's never got a shot. Like, there's so many small defensemen who are amazing players. Like, Sebastian Ajo, I guess, from the Islanders, if he was actually given a legit shot, like, he could be running a power play. But because he's on the Islanders, Barry Trotz was like, oh, he'll be seventh defenseman for life. And he seems like, okay. TJ Brennan's an interesting one because he's one of those guys who lit up the AHL got brought up to the NHL and didn't do so much. And I mean, you can question his deployment. <laughs> I and think he this... was with Colt Moore though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then he gets sent back down to the AHL and he goes right back to business. Right. It's yeah. not like Jonathan Chichu shot the lights out and then all of a sudden couldn't hit the net anymore. It was, um, you know, just blew away the AHL didn't repeat it in the NHL and then went right back to the AHL and was crushing it. So is it like the a big... ton of these guys? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. And then like, I feel like you have to dig into scouting reports and like really go to that next level because the stats just are not telling you like Andrew Podorowski for Carolina. Yeah. He was like 20 points above point per game last year and he's not really going to have an NHL career. And then that's the, that's the question. Is that the player's fault or is that like Pat said, like the NHL coach's fault? Cause how many guys are absolutely destroying the, the AHL and then, you know, they come up to the NHL and they don't repeat it, but were they playing, first line PPQB minutes in the AHL. And then now they're the sixth defenseman who's starting every shift in the D zone or, 
you know it's just mm. so it's just so strange when you see things like that happen or sometimes there's opportunity that just like just happens that like they come up and they get hurt yeah right? and then what are you going to do about that yeah, right? like yeah. uh there's that guy from arizona capo bieco that guy remember that guy's got the really complicated name oh kyle capo bianco oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and like he came up destroyed the hl comes up gets hurt yeah <laughs> yeah true and, and then like they he, put other people in this place yeah. and then what are you going to do, right? And sometimes that just happens for me um, for watching Washington. I'm a player I really liked, but I don't think he's going to get a shot at all with Peter Laviolette coaching the team and also, like, who's going to take John Carlson off the first power play? No one. But Bobby Nardella, he's played so good. He went over to the SHL, led their entire team in scoring, came back to the AHL, and then it's just I don't think he's going to get a shot. He has a one-way contract, but I think he's going to be a player who's going to hit waivers and pass right through. Right. But for me, he should be a player who should be given a sh- like a chance at a power play, like even power play two. But yeah, it's know. interesting looking at um, some of the guys that. Uh, it, j- here's just a couple names that you'll recognize. These names: Seth Griffith, Kiefer Sherwood, Dylan Sakura, um, Al- ABB, Alex Barboulet, Right. Like these are all Cody Glass. <laughs> He's a. Hold on, like, um. Seattle picked up Barry Boulay and like played him one game. I'm like, okay, waivers. Like that yeah. Seattle is the weirdest team. Like and that should be a player they should have kept. And they're just like, no. But then they, a bad game. Well, <laughs> I, and that's the thing I always wonder is like, what are we seeing about this player behind the scenes? Like, is he just a royal dickhead or something like that? And the team <laughs> didn't like having him around because he's performing in the AHL. He's he's only 24. He feels like he's been like, you know, in conversation since like 1987, but he's only 24 <laughs> years old. And, um, you know, he, and then Tampa obviously liked him enough to take him back. But y- you mean to tell me that, A, given that uh, um, Brandon Tanev was out uh, first third of the season, Yanni Gord was out until the back third of the season, basically. You didn't have, have that room. backwards. Didn't Tanev get injured in the first little bit? Oh yeah, he did, but he was gone for the rest of the year. That's what I mean. Yeah, he got oh, in. Okay. He, he only played the first bit. Gord only played the back bit. You didn't have room to give Barboulet a shot. Yeah, at least like, to run your awful power play. <laughs> yeah, like knowing knowing full well that you're. I mean, you got him for nothing, but just because you got something for nothing doesn't mean that it's like nothing venture, nothing gain. He still could be a valuable player, but I mean, maybe they know something that we don't, right? Well, that's yeah. Have, be fun, have fun. Thing. Have fun covering the Kraken because. Uh, I don't know. I think it's it's likely that they'll be better than Vegas soon. <laughs> but they're they're making bo- a bonkers path to get there. I don't know. It's like they're yeah. falling fast backwards into all these good picks. <laughs> but then those good picks might not be available. I mean, might not be hitting the NHL for a bit, right? Like we all like Jagger Perkins, but he's also like 110 pounds, like soaking yeah. wet. So yeah. Well, then <laughs> as I was writing in the, I mean, it's not out yet. It's, it's due to be published soon, but I was comparing because I mean, everybody compares, look what the golden Knights did and then look what Seattle's done thus far. And it's like, well, okay, fast forward a couple of seasons. And now you have a former all-star um, top left winger on many teams in the league that you literally gave away for nothing because <laughs> of your poor cap management. So I'm, and uh, so yeah, Seattle definitely hasn't taken advantage of, uh, um opportunities that have come their way and i hope i didn't uh flavor my article with too much uh, confusion and negativity but now now that you start seeing like burakovsky come in and bjorkstrand come in you have them for five-year contracts you can start filling in those holes whereas at the 
first season anyway was just an 82 game training camp and it wasn't until the this coming season where you're really going to start seeing things the confusing part too of seattle that had everyone so confused is why did you sign grubauer and like you're like huh we'll take him away from colorado it's like why well (laughs) and send vanacek back to washington that that was indefensible Uh, yeah but uh, when i was looking at um when i was looking on frozen tools and i was sorting by defensive statistics i was like all, all we heard at the beginning is you know it's a ron Francis team you got uh, you got good brain trust you got the types of players you got this is going to be a defensively responsible team they're not going to score a lot of goals but they're going to be a defensively responsible team and you might say well at least they achieved one of those two things um by <laughs> well, their they, match- they were they were a defensively responsible team on paper but their the head coach just does stunk. not have uh oh no i think the head coach does not have a good record of making defensively responsible teams yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those things when you look at, uh, you know, their limiting shots against or their high danger um, uh, chances against, um, you know, their shots per 60 against, they, they really gave their goaltenders the environment to, yeah. you could argue, not thrive, but at least perform. And, you know, Dreger doesn't have a ton of um, games under his belt, but he was like a rate stat darling when you sorted by like average stats, he was always near the top. Um, but him and Grubauer and even Joey Decor for like a little bit of that he did play. Um, nobody grabbed the bull by the horns and ran with it. But at least we got Martin Jones coming in. You know he's going to turn the team on its head. So. Yeah, he's had a long track record of good play. It, it just <laughs> it, it was all yeah it was all seven years or more ago. Unfortunately for Seattle. Well, yeah. there is also one player here who actually just kind of popped out to me. Um, you have him ranked the highest, Alex. Oh. Um, ben is actually not even really close to you. Keith is, but um, Brad Lambert, you have him ranked 36. Brad Lambert was one of those interesting guys, and you you could have expected him if he went super early or he fell um, a far way, then you'd be like, yeah, that's exactly what I expected. Um, you know, and, and when I was reading the things that I was reading, a lot of people really said good things about him. And uh, yeah, I just kind of, I mean, I can't say I watched a lot of Brad Lambert tape, but uh, some of the articles that I had read that uh, were kind of extolling the Brad Lambert virtues, I uh, I bought into it. So, yeah, I guess I had him a little bit higher than uh, than most folks. I think but. you needed to read. Well, for me, I might have been more influenced by E2, who's the head Euro guy. He was not a Lambert fan at all. <laughs> no, I just remember I, realizing that he uh, or reading that he he wouldn't like cut to the middle. He wouldn't attack the middle. And yeah. just that being like a major theme that he, he would come in with all this speed and he is a transition wizard, but then he wouldn't, they would kind of fizzle. And even yeah. like one of the two big plays he did at the world juniors before they were canceled, he basically cut into his zone and whipped a, whipped a pass cross ice and then it happened to work out. And then everyone was like, everyone's really, they want to be excited about Lambert, you know, cause he was going to be one of these top three picks and he fell so far, but I don't know. He's going to have to put up a monster season soon because all the models absolutely hate him. I just yeah, stuck yeah. him in right at the end of my rankings because he does have this incredible skill set, like yeah. the, the transition and the speed. I think that's worth something. I think um, we were softly, like we don't like comparisons here at the draft cast, <laughs> but <laughs> for a comparison, um, I was like, E2, is this close? Um, Kasperi Kapanen, he's like, yeah, it's kind of the same. Like, he has so much speed, skates right into the corner, kills the play. Right. 
<laughs> it's interesting because the the elite prospects um like draft uh, prep things like that they had them ranked fairly high they said you know it's interesting all the guys i did write-ups on uh, where the skating was the knock like the big thing on him was everything to do with his skating um and then it's interesting they compared him to barzal and uh and nylander right which uh you know it's just it's just i mean everybody is going to be patrice bergeron as we were joking about early <laughs> earlier but um <laughs> You know, yeah, I guess there's some interesting pieces um, on him that, uh, I mean, if you wanted to say that, no, everybody who has him low is is wrong, there's there's little threads that you can pull on to, you know, tilt your bias in that direction. And if you want to say, no, everybody thinks he's going to be good is wrong, the guy's going to be garbage, um, there's a lot written on how he's overvalued, right? So I guess I was uh, reading the, uh, the, the higher leaf, the high favorability articles when I, I think- was uh, coming up with my list. Yeah, in the end, like I, I still want him to work out. I want Winnipeg to have some marketable stars in their small building where mm-hmm. no one wants to play because it's Winnipeg, Manitoba. But like, I want them to have some people. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. I mean, uh, I mean, that's part of the fun of uh, everything with fantasy hockey is that uh, you know you you throw your weight behind a guy, and then if he pans out, you can say you were right all along, and then you just delete all the tweets that you were wrong on, right? But Martinko, uh, but I don't delete tweets because yeah. I forget how to do that. That's so much work to delete tweets. I don't know how people are like, oh, scroll way back. Yeah, that's weird that you can even remember your tweets, right? But uh, yeah, I know no, that... someone brings something up, and I'm like, I said that. Oh man, that's yeah. stupid. <laughs> And, and it all depends too, you know, if, uh, if a guy who's a great skater gets drafted into a team that, um, you know, doesn't mesh well with great skaters um, or, you know, bogs them down with a system or something like that, then yeah, it's the type of player that goes into a system. He has to fit the system. Otherwise he doesn't get utilized enough. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I'm still relatively high on him. I probably wouldn't put him as high um, if we did it over again today, but uh, yeah, I'd still rank him for sure. All right. Well, so I guess kind of the last question, because we should probably wrap it up. This has been actually almost like two hours here. Oh, <laughs> right in close. Alex talks a lot. Hey, man. Holy. No. No. Why... <laughs> um, okay. So you guys said this. I think we talked about this before, but um, seeing as the draft already passed, is there anyone you guys could change with your rankings? I wouldn't because mine are perfect and I didn't want to do it. But Ben, how, what would you do? Uh, yeah, not even specifically connected to the, to the draft, but some of them are, I just have some, you know, adjustments after however long it's been. Um, I had Slavkovsky at seven, which I would, I would knock down just because of the, like the timeline. Um, I had geeky at 35, which I'm kind of scratching my head now because when I have seen some tape on him, like, man, he looks slow, like even at the WH level, at yeah. WHL level. And that I just... Even what we said about skating, I'm worried about that. Um, I had Gleb Trikhazov at 40, which I think is a bit high. And then we talked about Chiprikov. And then I had some non-ranked guys that I would I would put back in, like Matthew Nyes, uh, Pavel Mintikov for Anaheim, William Dufour, which we talked about. Pat was the only one that had him. Um, Ridley Grieg, I would put him in there. Carson <laughs> Lambos, Brendan Brisson, Zach Bolduc. And I would probably find a spot for Joshua as well. Yeah, I have a bold duke in mind. There is one player you brought up, ah, Trikozov, actually. I know you said you'd take him off, but you know what would make me like put him on my list? Because I think I had him off. And the reason why I think you should put him back on is look at the team that took him with their first pick, Carolina. 
Yeah. Carolina just snags all these high value players that everyone just lets fall. And the second they took him, I was like, like, I feel like every other team just completely missed out when Carolina's like, yeah, go ahead. I, I do agree, but also because that's their that's their MO, I'm a little bit worried about it. Having like dug into their prospect system for a couple of years because I thought it was so sparkling. Someone like Noel Gunler. Yeah. Uh, someone was it you, Pat? Someone had him high and I was confused. Gunler, I might have had him high. He was oh, my Dave highest did. Carolina one. Ryan Suzuki like... was high up there too. Dave had him at 29, Gunler, and and he's like he's struggled since his draft. But uh, I don't know, because there's so many players like that that are kind of like the, whatever you call our industry, like the non-execs, like uh, everyone loves Trikazov, everyone loves Gunler, like, um, but there, it remains to be seen <laughs> Yeah. If, if they can fight each other off and, and actually earn, earn some playing time. Yeah, Carolina is, is pretty much one of those teams where it's like, do you have any time to, or do they have a time to put you in the roster because right. their AHL team is also stacked? But yeah, yeah, that was just for me with like Carolina. They always take high upside guys. And totally. They, they, it's like whenever they take a guy like late who everyone had ranked high, I'm always just like, oh, this guy. I picked him in one of my drafts. So I was like, sweet. But when, the reason yeah. I had Gunler still on mine is um, because if Carolina can put him in a spot to succeed, like I think he can really succeed. Like all. I was talking to Hattie about it, I think, in part one. It's like, he's pretty much the shot. He doesn't have anything else. But, like, Patrick Wine is an extreme example, but he's pretty much just a shot and not that much else, right? Right. And you put him in that spot to succeed versus, like, fourth-line minutes, like, he'll get you fantasy points. That's just my thing yeah. for him. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing I found when I um, I was writing for Carolina for the the, the prospects report um, is, is that they have about 16 guys that all project as uh, second line players, right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> now the thing is, is that three of them are going to be second line players and another handful of those guys might end up getting dealt um, to fill other holes and they might become second line players somewhere else. But when you have a giant logjam of the same type of players, it creates this artificial barrier for a number of them to get that deployment unless you move them and they get that deployment elsewhere. So um, that's why, you know, that's kind of why I like uh, the Seattle draft is that they drafted several different people that were different body types or they're different types of players that you can see a road to a role um, for them rather than having, I mean, it's great to have an embarrassment of riches, but um, I mean, imagine being a, a top defensive prospect on the Columbus Blue Jackets right now, right? Yeah. So um, you can have an embarrassment of riches and then it might end up kind of watering down your prospect pool because you only have so much opportunity to give those guys one to perform, but two to develop too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes lots of sense. Um, who would you change with your rankings, Alex? I think this question idea was pretty much yours. Oh, well, what a great, that's why I like the idea so much. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think I'd probably have Frank uh, Nazer ranked a little bit higher. Um, I did a little bit more reading on him. That uh, I mean, again, he's he's going to Chicago, so we'll see how he does. But again, he'll have a lot of opportunity. So I'd probably have him. He ranked might be higher. traded in three years, twenty first overall. <laughs> well, he what was he taken? He was taken thirteenth. Uh, so they might trade him for like the seventeenth overall pick mm-hmm. in a year or two. But um, I'd probably rank him a little bit higher. I'd probably rank Korchinski a little bit higher too, just given how high he went. Um, Jagger Furcus, I had him 33rd. I think there's about five or six other guys who um, I could easily put him ahead of where I had him there. Um, yeah, so I think those are the guys that stand out for me is uh, 
Korchinski. Oh, and I completely missed um, uh, Matejchuk and Mintyukov. Uh, you know, for guys that went in the top half of the first round, uh, I didn't even have them in my rankings. So those were some um, whiffs for me. And I just forgot to plug it. I would have ranked uh, Juracek. I just I didn't add him onto my uh, type out list. So he just got missed completely. Uh, whereas Matejchuk and Mintyukov, I didn't rank them. So those guys uh, would all be higher for... Um, changed opinions and more attentive uh, data entry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I think that pretty much uh, wraps us up, actually. That was a good talk for part three. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, that's all for this week. You can follow us on Twitter. Mine is at FHPQuinn. Ben, what's yours? B-E-E-Gare, G-A-R-E, at B-Gare on Twitter. Alex, what's yours? Uh, you can follow me at uh, at Kraken Wyatt, and that's W Y A T T, just like Erp the Cowboy for any of our sixty-five-year-old uh, <laughs> or older listeners out there. <laughs> I think there's a lot. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so I guess don't forget to like, subscribe. As um, anyone listening can tell, I'm very good with free sponsorship. So if anyone wants to send me paid sponsorship. That send it to the email or to the Twitter, which is at Dauber Draftcast, um, or DMs, or you can just DM me straight because money's good. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know what else to add. So I always end these really awkwardly with some buys. But yeah, I guess bye, everybody listening. Well, thanks for having us, Pat. Yeah, Alex, you gotta say something because no one can tell what you're doing. Oh, I'm uh, I'm just basking in our uh, our rightness and all of the perfect <laughs> answers that we've given over the last 150 minutes perfect okay that's it <laughs>